Hi, welcome to the Kick-Ass Irreverent Gaming Podcast, Respawn and Fire, where three lifelong friends gather to talk about video games. I'm Holden. I'm actually here with Alex Kozina, a.k.a. Cozy Bear, instead of Chad this week. Hello. And you're you, and that's why we love you. Cozy Bear, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Alexander Kozina. Uh, you may know me uh, from the channel Gamers, G-V-M-E-R-S, which produces short-form documentaries about the history of various video game series and franchises. I'm the main writer for that channel. I'm also a kind of funny best friend. You may see me online contributing weird, cool pieces of art, question mark, to the kind of funny community, like those video games that the crew played on KFAF a few months back, and also the kind of funny wikis, including Nick Scarpedia, Kevin Kowalopedia, and Greg Millerpedia most recently. I watched your Kingdoms of Amalur video today. Oh, thank you. And that was that was really good. It's a tragic story, honestly. Yeah. Because there's a lot of potential in that developer. People should check that out. Yeah. It's yeah, definitely go check it out. And I uh, gotta say, I am also kind of surprised by just how well that video is doing. Like Kingdoms of Amalur, it sold well. It wasn't like a absolute gangbuster success, so I am happy that it seems like it's really resonating in video format with a lot of people. I think there's a lot of interest in Kingdoms of Amalur, even with people who haven't played it. I have never played it before, but I've always wanted to. Mm. So maybe it's like a, a sign of a resurgence that people want it back. Maybe. I mean, and we do talk about this a little bit in the video, but recently part of the rights were acquired by THQ Nordic. So it has been in the public conversation recently. I guess I am just a little bit surprised because the video before that that we put out was uh, a video on the history of the Max Payne series. And that video also did well, but it doesn't seem to be tracking as well at the moment as Kingdoms of Amalur. So that just kind of took me by surprise. YouTube algorithms, they just are always fucking people over. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> Speaking of weird, we're going to talk about what we've been playing this week. Mm -hmm. uh, before we talk about all the other news this week, which is going to be like Half-Life Alex, not Alex Cozina, Alex with a Y, different Alex, <sighs> the Black Friday deals, Game Award nominees, all that stuff. Uh, but we both have been playing Pokemon Sword, or I've been playing Shield. I think you've been playing Shield as well? Yes, that is correct. I went off of my thoughts last week, so I'm actually really curious what you've been thinking in terms of Pokemon Shield. So when you told me in advance that we were going to be discussing Pokemon Sword and Shield on the podcast, I I was like around maybe like three, four gyms in, uh, uh, into the game. And at that point, I was like, oh, shit, if we're going to be discussing it here, better make sure to <laughs> go through and finish it. Uh, so I did. I just completed Sword and Shield. Wait, what am I? Why? See, the thing is, I constantly I'm used to saying Sword and Shield because I've been streaming the game a lot. And on yep. Twitter, it's better to put the hashtag Pokemon Sword Shield and also on Twitch, you can only put the category Pokemon Sword Shield. You can't just do Pokemon Shield. So I'm used to seeing both of them at once. Getting back to my original point, I just completed Pokemon Shield last night. Uh, and I am quite in love with this game. I do think that there are, are a few problems that cropped up towards the end. Uh, but overall, it is definitely one of my more favorite Pokemon experiences in quite some time. I um I heard you guys you know talking a lot about the wild area on the podcast last week. I think that the wild area is a great addition to the series, and while it's not overwhelmingly huge, while it is sort of this kind of intermissional area between a lot of the other main areas of the game, it does a great job at constantly kind of encouraging you to go back and re-explore it and find new things in it. Uh, and more than that, like pacing wise, I am 
so impressed and so happy with how quickly this game gets you to the wild area after you start the game. There are so many prior Pokemon mm-hmm. games I played where it, it feels like you're spending hours and hours and hours before you really the game really begins to open up and you get to some of the more open-ended sections. And in this game, like literally an hour and a half in and you're already at the wild area. And just that like sense of liberation of walking through that area for the first time is great. I know that the more and more I play through the wild area, the more and more Pokemon I capture and fill up in my Pokedex, like its luster will gradually begin to wear off. Uh, but for the time being, I'm still enjoying it considerably. Uh, I didn't ask at the start, did you go through and complete it since last yeah, podcast? I'm, yeah, I've beaten the game. I'm in the post-game content right now. Hmm. I've never completed Pokemon post-game content. I'm still not sure if this one will sway me, but it feels like there's more reason to continue mm. than in previous games. Mm. I uh, I mean, what I've read online is like it's not like there's a huge ton of post-game content. It seems like it, a lot of the post-game content is just like gym battles and the like. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I'm going to, I've, in contrast, I've almost always completed the post-game content, so I'd imagine I'll be going through with it in due time, uh, although there are quite a few other games that are occupying my attention right now, so maybe I might put it off for a little bit. Um, one thing I want to get out right here and right now, because it's been tugging on me since I went through with it last night, is I did not feel that a lot of the story stuff uh was all that great particularly towards the end of the game um yeah i agree and uh, before i get into it i should say like a spoiler warning for anyone who has not yet completed the game and doesn't want to be spoilt as to what happens but i just felt that the way that the kind of overall narrative involving chairman rose and his corporation and his ambitions to supply the galar region with power for the next thousand years or whatever the heck that was I, i did not feel that it uh, just came together all that great. I felt it was awkwardly paced in terms of kind of setting up tension and making you feel like you're barreling towards this incredibly deep and kind of climatic uh, conflict. And I felt that it, uh, there are a number of really kind of weird revelations uh, that came out of nowhere, namely uh, <laughs> that the chairman was making use of that dragon type Pokemon whose name eludes me to basically further his ambitions. Uh, that dragon made for a really cool looking and really fun final boss, but the reveal of it, I just thought was poorly handled. Yeah, it was, it's like the beginning of the game. They said, Hey, Pokemon games usually had this like team rocket like group you're against. We're going to like subvert your expectations. They're just this like, group that are fanboys of one particular gym challenger and it's like okay they're kind of playing with this it's really just a simple story of you going through the gym challenges it has this kind of like almost soccer you know tournament kind of feel to it at the same time like this is kind of cool it's very simple kind of refreshing and they decided to make it a pokemon game at the end and bring in that like evil bad guy who wants to change the world in some way yeah and it just felt out of place it felt very strange it um i i felt that the way that the team yell arc wrapped up was actually really cute i I thought that was like, oh, this is a this is a different look from how they typically do this sort of thing. But I thought that that was uh, fine in its own right. And personally, like, and I know it's easy to kind of sit around and be play armchair developer here. But if I would have been <laughs> in charge of this game story, I would have kept the team yell stuff in the game. But I would have cut out all the Chairman Rose stuff and made all the conflicts 
of the game purely and solely focused on the kind of interpersonal relationships between the champion and all the people under his wing, all the other challengers vying for his position. I felt like there was a lot of interesting tension there, particularly with the other rival, uh, B, the guy who dresses up in pink, and I felt like they should have focused on that stuff more. Yeah, I agree. And and they they were, but then they have these like, odd moments where, like, hey, there's a story that's happening in the background, but the adults are saying, don't look at this, you just keep moving on. And I'm like, yeah. well, that's weird. I'm interested in what you're doing. Is going to go anywhere? And, oh, yeah, the end, we'll just, like, do something really quick, and it'll, it'll work out. It definitely was really strange. It's like, they go back to the whole, like, Pokemon mold. It's always, like, Team Magma or something like that, where mm-hmm. they have this mission, they want to do something big in the world. And they realized they had to do this in this game because it's a Pokemon game, but they didn't actually have any ideas to fill in. Yeah. So they just had this really shallow, just, it didn't w- work in the end for me. And I kind of feel like it's a sign that, hey, maybe we should take Pokemon in a different direction for the next one and try something yeah. else that's more unique. Like, I wonder if, um, a bit of a walk, stick with me here. Uh, there was a brief period of time where the Call of Duty games got increasingly more and more futuristic in terms of their setting and weaponry and whatnot. And after several games in a row uh, that were in this direction, fans began to complain. We want Call of Duty to go back to its roots. We want it to go back to World War II. And so finally, whether they had planned to or not, uh, Activision announced, hey, Call of Duty is going back to World War II and the fan base rejoiced and you know regardless of the quality of the game that it produced it definitely helped restore balance to the order i like i can understand the pokemon company's desire to not want to not include a villain plot in this game where there's like some evil big bad that needs to be defeated at the end but i feel like if they had made the decision to not include that in the game i feel like it would have made the return of like this sort of plot uh, into the series with the next entry after these games that much more exciting like they could have used that as like a big selling point like hey guys we know that y'all were a little disappointed that there wasn't some big bad yet to fight in sword and shield well guess what in gun and Morningstar, we have a new evil plot back <laughs> and it would have been like it would have generated so much hype uh in a way that they wouldn't have been able to if it hadn't been gone beforehand yeah, I think that's a good point, because I think one of the strengths of the story was its simplicity. The fact that it is just a small story of you and your friends. Mm. That I think you had a bigger connection to your rival than at least I have felt in previous games. Not that there's like a super deep emotional connection to your rival, Hop, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. I think you spent a little bit more time with Hop than you have your past rivals, and I feel like that just kind of went out the window in the end. Yeah. So I think, I think you're right. Like If they just stuck with what they were going with in the beginning of the game, I think it would have worked out better if they just stuck with it till, till the end. I uh, I realize that you know we've been talking a fair bit about this aspect of the game we didn't like a whole lot. I really do want to stress again. I really really did love this game. It's just you know this thing is on my mind because I just went through with it the other night. Uh, otherwise, yeah. I think it is a very very strong game and one of the best games in recent memory. One thing I did like a lot. Uh, I don't know if you would really call this story related, but I really do like how they build up the lore and mythos surrounding the gym leaders in this region. Mm-hmm. They really, there was a like Kodaku article about this not too long ago in which they talked about how this game does like this or like sports fanaticism surrounding its 
region celebrities really well, where you really, the gym leaders really do feel like these big celebrities that have like a significant sway over popular culture uh, within the areas that they live. Uh, and I felt that the way that they kind of concluded all that by having you face the gym leaders once more in like a tourney mm-hmm. was really cool. Yeah, it definitely, the world building, I think, is one of the best parts of this game. Yeah. Is you kind of feel like Galar is this unique region of the Pokemon world, whereas before every world was just, to me, uh, just a Pokemon, a place where Pokemon could exist, and you had an excuse to go through gym battles. Everything felt a little bit more kind of ingrained with each other, or uh, not ingrained, but everything was more of a complete world than it has in the past game. Like, I don't really know what the Hoenn region was in Ruby and Sapphire. What is the Hoenn region? I don't really know. It's just a place where Pokemon can exist. What's Johto? It's just a place where Pokemon can exist. Galar had a very unique feel. Where mm. I think they had that as well with Sun and Moon. And I forgot the names of the four islands in that game. Yeah. Um, no, I don't... The, Pony Island. That was one of them. That po- Pony Island was one of them, yes. Yeah. We'll call them all Pony Island for, for sure. <laughs> Pony Islands 1, 2, 3, and 4. And the Floating Island as well. Don't forget about that yes. one. Despite us not knowing the name of those islands, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it felt like a unique world for the Pokemon games that that have come before it, and I think this kind of continues that in a refreshing way. I like that like, liked that a lot. I think the Pokemon were also really good this time around. I have no complaints about there being only four hundred. Never even faced me while playing it. Yeah, not, me neither. I, I'm perfectly fine with the number, and uh, I don't know how deeply I'm going to get into the competitive metagame uh, of Pokemon Sword and Shield uh, come the next couple of months. But I'm uh, like having a limited number of Pokemon always is a good thing for the metagame because it means that Pokemon that previously wouldn't have been given the spotlight because they would have been outclassed by other Pokemon now get a chance mm-hmm. to su- shine. Um, just very quickly, I remember during the days, the early days of the Sun and Moon meta, um, Gigalith, which is like a pure rock type Pokemon that tends to largely be forgotten in a lot of competitive circles, actually managed to carve out a pretty good niche because like Pokemon that otherwise would have re- replaced him or invalidated him weren't there. Uh, and I'm rem- I'm hoping that there will be a lot more Gigaliths, so to speak, in this upcoming competitive season. Mm-hmm. How do you? So do you feel like? Game Freak has to change the formula up. Do you think they're in a position where they kind of have to start thinking outside of what a Pokemon game is? Because it's been a big complaint is that it's just kind of the same thing just on a home console. It's not. It's like a 3D plus, 3DS Plus game as opposed to mm. a Switch game is what some people have said. Do you think that they actually have to really start revamping Pokemon, like Breath of the Wild it, if you will? So, like, we were talking about this, um, as you know, uh, Respawn Aim Fire hosts these community game nights in which uh, you two and the rest of the community kind of get together and we play games like Destiny and Titanfall 2 and the like. And recently I was talking about how, like, I really do feel like if Pokemon wasn't a Nintendo franchise, I don't know that we would have this sort of like frothing community demanding that the games be different. I think that because Nintendo has this really kind of rich history of games that they've managed to grow and evolve in substantial methods over time, like Metroid and Mario and Zelda, that we have people demanding that Pokemon do the same. And I do wonder, like, if history had gone differently and Pokemon had ended up a Capcom franchise, like as in like published by Capcom or published by mm-hmm. Konami, would we still be sitting around saying the same thing? Um, as it stands, I feel like right now I'm going to say no. I think that they do 
they really should continue to grow and advance and flesh out the kind of wild area section of the game more and more with subsequent entries. I'd say ingrain it even more into the overall design of the region. I don't think that they need to, like completely do a 180 on everything they built up and up until now and make pokemon like a action rpg or like something in the vein of breath of the wild um so yeah that's that's my answer they need to continue moving forward with some of the new things that they brought forth with this game i don't think that they should rest on their laurels uh, but they don't need a complete and utter revolution imo yeah no I think the people who are wanting like a Breath of the Wild oh, style world, and I think like, what I meant more by Breath of the Wild, it, it is just revamp it like they revamp Zelda. And I think that having an open world like Breath of the Wild wouldn't really work in a Pokemon game because again, it kind of distracts from having to actually produce and balance 400 Pokemon in the game or however many they have in the next game. But I do think you're right that kind of ingraining that wild area more into the world would be a huge step. Like I, I feel like one of my, although I really liked the wild area a lot you didn't really have to go to it. You only went to it because you wanted to. Mm. Which I guess isn't the worst thing that you do want to go there, but it felt like a separate area from the rest of the game. Yeah. And I feel like if, you know, rather than having routes between each town like they've had in every other Pokemon game and in this game, I feel like if they kind of had it work like the Ocarina of Time open world where Hyrule Field is the wild area and every single uh, town stems from the wild area. Yeah, I think that would have worked really well. Uh, another suggestion I would give as well is, um, I'd say like two thirds, three fourths of the way through the game, you're introduced to the water bike, which allows you to go on top mm-hmm. of water, and it opens up a bunch of new areas in the wild area. When that was introduced, I thought it was great. Uh, in retrospect, though, I wish they had done that a couple more times, like introduce new upgrades mm-hmm. for the bike that further enriched and deepened the way that you explore the wild area. Having that done only one time was great, but it would have been great if there was done multiple times. It's also not presented to you in a way that suggests, oh, you should go back to the wild area now. Yeah. It's really more of like, oh, if you want to get down this route, here's the bike. Cool. You made it down that way. Continue playing like normal now. And it wasn't like, it didn't even dawn on me initially that I should go to the wild area again because of getting that bike upgrade uh, to your like point about the ocarina of time upgrade if this was a zelda game it would have been like hey here's the water bike and then you would have used the water bike to get to the next mm-hmm. area of the game that previously was inaccessible to you without the water bike exactly and that's something that's built into pokemon as well i mean that's what the hms were for in past games having surf having strength having flash like having these kinds of things were there to or cut as well were there to help you explore areas of the world you couldn't get to before so it wouldn't even really be a new thing for pokemon necessarily it would feel right at home yeah yeah i agree to have that sort of gatekeeping i mean hmm. um so yeah i mean i like the game a lot um i do think they need to start making some bigger steps but I, I don't think that it should get away from where the battle system currently is right now the catching pokemon i do think that in terms of like catching Pokemon and seeing Pokemon in the overworld, I think that is a huge jump up. But because we just saw that in Let's Go Pikachu, I don't think people see that as a new thing. Mm. But it really is, for the mainline Pokemon games, it's a big deal to have. So I actually did not play Let's Go Eevee or Pikachu. So it is actually pretty... Like, it feels pretty substantial to me, but I get your point. Yeah, yeah. So good stuff. I like the game a lot. Mm. Um, I'm curious what they do next. Me too. We'll find out. What else have you been playing? Uh, what else have I been playing? Um, I've also been playing a tiny little bit of Undertale. I don't know if you wanted to save that till the end of the show or not. Undertale? Yeah. 
we'll be doing a barf segment like on its own later on okay probably next week i don't we don't have an ex- official date for that quite yet yeah but if you I, want to share your thoughts by all means uh, i mean i uh, what little I played of it, I really enjoyed. But like right now, the past couple of weeks have been so busy for me between like real life stuff and work, and also Death Stranding and Pokemon that I've just not had much of a chance to get back to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say it is the humor is great. I love how in order to play a pacifist run, you have to solve all these like really clever uh, puzzles that are ingrained into the mm-hmm. uh, battles that you fight with people. Uh, but yeah, I just have not had a lot of time to play it. So I, I just want to say I have, I have tried it. I will try to get around to it before the end of the month, but uh, we will see how things go. Uh, the other game that I've been playing a lot of is a little game called Death Stranding. I was going to ask you about this. You've been very hot on it on Twitter. I have. Um, Much like uh, the game I just was talking about, Undertale, I unfortunately have not had as much time to play Death Stranding as I initially had when it came out as a result of just a bunch of stuff occupying my time, but I'm still very hot on it. Um, I have a bit of a hot take here. I did not really love Chapter 4 of the game. I have uh, not played Chapter 4 yet. I haven't played uh, it since Jedi Fallen Order and Pokemon came out. So I'm still in Episode 3. Okay. Do you want me to three. like get super into detail into Chapter 4 or keep things vague? I would keep things vague because I don't really want to know what happens quite yet. Okay. I um, Since so, I'm also almost there. To make a long story short, a lot of people said, yeah, get to Chapter 3, get to Chapter 4. That's where the game gets really good. I personally was actually really enjoying the game up until Chapter 3. I felt like uh, the kind of like quiet... Uh, meditative way of walking through the wasteland made for a really enjoyable experience and a really unique and distinct experience from a lot of other like conventional um, open world games. I felt like when you when you think about games that induce a sense of zen, you think of games like Journey, for example, or Flower. And I feel like this game in its own unique way manages to do so as well it makes you feel very kind of mindful of every stone that's along your path and it gets you in this sort of state of mind that's like again to what i was saying earlier it's very kind of meditative in this sort of triple a actiony kind of way uh and as a result when we got to chapter four i did not like the direction that things went there because it gets way less zen and way more action and I, I will say, like, I think part of the problem is, is that it forces you to flex a lot of muscles that up until this point in time, you have not had much of a need to flex unless you're, like, directly going into the mule camps and clearing those out um, without getting into any spoilers. Um, and eventually I was able to overcome the, that chapter by, like, actually, like, going into the mechanics, reading up on what I needed to do, and actually practicing uh, the way again i'm trying not to spoil things but basically after sufficient practice i was able to get uh through things in chapter four but i did not love it in the way that some people uh do online uh but the good news is that after chapter four is over i got back into the normal swing of things uh and i went back to enjoying it i've heard chapter four is very different i have no idea what it is though i i Hmm. I've, actually, I think like I've heard it's about the Mads, Mikkel, Mads Mikkelsen's character. Yeah, and if you've and it, it focuses it, on him, if you recall some of the scenes that Mads has appeared in in some of the trailers, you might be able to kind of formulate an idea in your head as to what it's probably about. Uh, but I won't say anything else. Yeah, 
I'm going to keep playing it. I just need to get through Jedi Fallen Order mm. first. Because I feel like once I start getting back into the Stranding again, I really have to dedicate time to it. It's not a game you can really play for like 15 minutes and put down, or an hour and no. put down. You kind of have to put several hours at a time, it feels like. Yeah. Uh, how, how far are you into Star Wars Fallen Order, by the way? I am. I feel very close to the end. Okay. I, and uh, Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I, I just want to ask because um, so previously, as part of um, respawning fires, barf, we played Titanfall two, and then as part of our community game nights, we played uh, Apex Legends, both of which are um, respawn entertainment's uh, hits, basically of the past couple of years, and I enjoyed both games quite a bit. Uh, but one kind of complaint that I had coming off of Titanfall 2 is that I felt that its story was not all that it could have been. I think what I my main issue is that I just thought it was disappointing how easily BT, the Titan, and Cooper, the pilot, kind of got used to each other. I was hoping that the relationship would be a little bit more antagonistic, maybe. Mm-hmm. BT wouldn't really be very trusting of Cooper, and Cooper wouldn't really be, wouldn't kind of really believe in his abilities at first as a pilot, and that over time they would come to kind of trust in both themselves and each other, uh, and as a result make them trusting each other by the end of the game feel that much more impactful and powerful. And I was disappointed that instead, like, right from the onset of them knowing each other, they both intimately trust each other and there isn't much conflict there. Um, obviously, this game is a lot different uh, than Titanfall 2 in that it isn't about a boy and his Titan. There is a robot and a boy, but the robot is much smaller. Um, but do you feel like the story and kind of the interpersonal relationships between the characters in this game is like a substantial step up from Titanfall 2? Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 I wouldn't say it's like top caliber video game storytelling. Yeah. But it definitely is a huge step up from where we're coming from a Titanfall 2. Um I wish it had taken some of the um we'll say game mechanic chops from Titanfall 2. Mm. I feel like what it makes up for in story it kind of misses in some of the gameplay elements. Okay. Um, but the story definitely is is a highlight. I do want to preface that I'm a, a Star Wars fan. It's like a lot of that is, oh, cool, new Star Wars story. They're talking about Jedis. This is awesome. Right, right. There's an element of that as well. But there are interesting characters, without going into spoilers, there are very interesting characters who you learn more about throughout the story. It changes their motivations, makes you question them. So there's definitely a lot more going on with the characters, for sure. Cool. Um, I've heard the ending is very good, but I've not gotten to the ending yet. Cool, cool. I, um... <clears throat> Hold on a sec. I had a bit of a cough coming on. Um, I, I've already kind of discussed this off air a little bit, but I'm probably going to be getting um, this game when things die down for me a little bit in December. In fact, I actually, th- this isn't something I really ask of my parents anymore, but I could theoretically ask my parents to get it for me as a Christmas gift. So we'll see about that. The, the way I see it, like I've heard online that there are some technical issues here and there. And it's like, well, if there is a game to wait, both like Death Stranding, Pokemon Sword and Shield and uh, Star Wars uh, Jedi Fallen Order all seem like MVPs of this holiday season. But if there is a game to wait for and uh, games to get right away, like Death Stranding and Pokemon are the games to kind of get right away, whereas Star Wars seems like the game to kind of wait for a little bit because of the technical issues. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I actually... So when, last week, Chad and I were talking about it. Chad mentioned the technical issues, and I was surprised to hear this, because I hadn't really heard many people talk about the game online at that point, mm. because I hadn't had any technical issues in the first like hour and a half I played. And man, um, as the game goes on, do you get more and more technical issues. It gets Ooh. really bad at some points. Ooh. Uh, there was one mm. point where uh, my map was telling me, go in a certain direction. I head in that direction. And the room looked like it was pitch black dark that I was going into. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And what it was going to be. Well, let me jump in there, and then I'll turn my lightsaber on. Turns out it wasn't a pitch black room. It was a room that hadn't loaded. Oh. So I literally just walked in and fell. And I was just continuously following. And I'm like, I can't stop this. I can just close the game and reopen it if I want to. And then I landed on the ground. And I was just literally <laughs> walking in, like, an empty void space in the game where nothing existed. That's not good. Yeah. Um, that happened to... F- two times for me um there'll be points where like you go back to fight a boss and you know like dark souls bosses you'll go back to them and they'll be kind of waiting for you in the room yeah um the boss will be waiting for you in the room but they're it's like their character model just loaded it's not in any ready stance it's like arms out legs out lightsaber is just like an object in front of them shooting straight up into the sky Ooh. and then suddenly they just grab it and then they start fighting you <laughs> but it's like they just loaded and didn't tell it to animate quite yet even though you're walking the room and it's gliding towards you it would it would mm. just be very strange um this has been a, a few issues like that there's been some pop-in of you go into a new area that you know there are enemies that killed you before but they're not there right now so they're wondering where they are, and then suddenly they're completely surrounding you, and they're taking you out very quickly. So there's some not there's some big technical problems for sure. Mm. Like worse than control, I would say, whereas control had frame rate problems. This has major popping issues, mm. assets that won't load. There's some issues. It should have been delayed, I think, for sure. But the combat is the highlight of this game. The combat's very good. It feels really good with one exception and that's the block button mm-hmm. I want I think you were um, with Trevor uh, Dallas Matt and I on game night last week Trevor was telling me that I should really think about going down to Jedi Knight um, difficulty I was on Jedi Master because mm. I wanted it to feel more like Dark Souls and I moved it down to Jedi Knight just on his recommendation because one of the things that it does is it helps with blocking the the window to parry is greater on Jedi Knight as opposed to Jedi Master. And it makes a big difference because I think parrying is kind of a mess. Mm. I, I'll swear to God, I'll, I'll hit the parry button and nothing will happen. And it's really oh, frustrating. No. So it, whereas I think a lot of this comes from I played Sekiro early this year, which has an incredibly similar combat system. I don't think there's any plagiarism there because obviously the game developments kind of yeah. overlap each other. Um, but they do have very similar... Um, you know mechanics there and Sekiro's is just perfect they nail it there's it it feels mechanically so much better than Jedi Fallen Order that I think the biggest reason I'm seeing with Jedi Fallen Order is I love the art design I love the sounds it's all extremely Star Wars I'm liking the story where it's going but the gameplay isn't quite as good as I would want it to be especially coming Mm. from Respawn where I I know that in the first person genre they can do really good things hmm and this is their first time doing third person and doing melee combat. So I'm hoping with the second game they can improve some of that stuff and learn from some of the, uh, we'll say, uh, some of the jankiness in this game. But I still think it's a good game and it's worth getting. Mm. All right. But I'm definitely liking this a lot because it's Star Wars. 
Okay. If this were just a generic third-person action game, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't even finished it. Got it. I um, uh, despite everything you just said, I'm still totally gonna get around to playing it. And I mean, yeah, like I said, it sounds like I'm uh, in the right to probably wait just a little bit before I get into it. Yeah. Uh, quick question: Does this game have a new game plus mode? I don't know. Okay. I have no idea to be honest. Um. Actually, I'm actually kind of curious because I'm thinking how that would work. Mm. I guess they could let you keep all your perks you've leveled up and the the lightsaber you ended up crafting and all that stuff, but I don't know if they would or not. That's kind of part of the game is blocking things off. Hmm. And so you can kind of just then sequence break in huge ways and just get to the end very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Let me see. I'm looking uh, it up right now. All right, cool. I, uh, you know, I, I think the reason why I actually asked that is because I remember uh, God of War, uh, the 2018 game, did not have a uh, new game plus mode when it launched, mm-hmm. and then it received a new game plus mode a f- little while after launch via an update. And I guess because I just had like, you know, this game being updated to be improved upon on my mind, I kind of my mind wandered to that. And I was wondering, oh, does this game have a new game plus mode? It does not. I just looked it up. It doesn't. Okay. well, maybe, you know, again, that's maybe something they can add in, although that sounds like it's actually that sounds like it would actually be a little bit like more difficult question mark than fixing some of the technical issues. We will see. I think it'd be challenging because it'd be like adding a new game plus mode to Metroid Prime. Yeah, I see your point. You'd be able just to skip the majority of the game and just go right to the end. Right, right. Yeah, I get it. Hmm. Hmm. Right. I mean, you could always play it again, Jedi Master. That's but a good I point. Fe- I feel like not many people are going to do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not disappointed in the game. I'm still really enjoying my time with it. Hmm. But I'm definitely going to play it once and probably not going to play it again. Okay. Yeah. So, is that all we played for the week? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to like quickly rack my brain. That's really kind of all I've played. I I mean, a, a little while back, I was, I was actually playing more of Titanfall 2. Specifically, I was playing uh, Titanfall 2's highest difficulty, master difficulty, because there is a trophy associated with that uh, difficulty for completing it. Um... Uh, however, uh, once like once both Pokemon and Death Stranding came out, I was like, all right, I have to kind of subdivide my attention here and focus on the new stuff. Uh, but I do plan on getting back to that in due time. Uh, and, oh yeah, I also, at the very beginning of November, I started out Rise of the Tomb Raider for the first time. Uh, and I was enjoying that a fair bit, but I also did not get a whole lot in deep into it. Uh, and that is basically all I've been playing as of recent. Good stuff. Moving on to our quest log, starting with the fetch quests for the week. We're going to run through some stuff here. Feel free to stop me at any point if you have something you want to say about sure. the stories. Um, starting off with the Black Friday deals, we talked about Microsoft's deals already. Excuse me, in previous weeks. Hmm. Um, we have some information now for Sony as well as Nintendo. Sony's going to have $100 off any PlayStation 4 and PSVR model. The DualShock controllers are going to be uh, $39.99 and 25% off PS Plus. Uh, Nintendo is also going to have some eShop uh, deals as well on Black Friday. Um, I'm not going to go through all of these, but they're actually not bad for Nintendo. I mean, 30% off of Zelda and Mario games, or 
Zelda being Breath of the Wild, not Link's Awakening. Cool. 30% off those games, which is pretty good. You can get up to like 50% off of like Wolfenstein Youngblood or Monster Hunter Generations. Ooh. 40% off Dark Souls. And then if you really like Dragon Ball uh, Fighter Z, it's 70% off. You can get that for pretty cheap now. So right. they have some deals there to look forward to on Black Friday. Um, we have some rumors as well. This one's first one's not too surprising. Uh, there's a report that Amazon is set to roll out a game streaming service in 2020. That comes from Alex Calvin at PC Gaming Insider. Um, I would be shocked if they didn't do anything like that, considering they have game studios. They've announced that they want to do web service stuff. They have really good web services already to definitely compete with mm. Google. They're a company that can do it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they have one less competitor to worry about now, possibly. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah, to we'll, that in a bit. Yeah, we'll talk about Steve in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I think you have a good point there. One thing I actually want to quickly mention about Amazon is that and this isn't related to the stories we're going to talk about with Stadia, but they don't have really exclusive games. I mean, they have some, but not like from first-party Stadia studios mm-hmm. that are will always be unique to Stadia. And Amazon has had game development studios for years now, so I feel like they're going to actually have first-party content at their launch, which is, I think, console launch 101. So I'm hoping Amazon can get that part right. Hmm. Um, speaking of games, Resident Evil 3 Remake is added in multiple reports. This is from Hyron Cryer, US Gamer. This allegedly has been in development for a little while now and could release in 2020. I'm so, hoping. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just saying I'm hoping. That's, that's all. I'm just hoping it's going to happen. Oh, okay. Got it. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, my experience with the Resident Evil series is very low. I um, and I've been meaning to finally correct that and get onto the series. And what I'm wondering is whether I should just like dive directly into Resident Evil 2 remake, whether I should try playing Resident Evil 1 remake first, whether I should possibly even consider playing Resident Evil 4 remake first, because although Resident Evil 4 is a game that most tend to agree holds up to this day, um, it is. Uh, wait, did I say Resident Evil 4 remake or Resident Evil 4? You said Resident Evil 4 remake, but I knew what you meant. I, right. I just meant Resident Evil 4. There has not been a remake of 4. But, like, basically my point is people often tend to agree that Resident Evil 4 is a game that has aged really well. But I know there are going to be some quality of life stuff that Resident Evil 2 remake has that Resident Evil 4 does not. And so I'm wondering, like, should I maybe hold off on playing Resident Evil 4? Or should I play it first? There's a lot of things going on in my head right now, but I know that I do want to play through this uh, series for the first time, and I'm really happy that I'm going to get a modern, hopefully a modern kind of like updated version of Resident Evil 3 to play through in due time. I'm not a... I wouldn't say I'm hugely knowledgeable in Resident Evil. I played two remake this year. Mm. I played seven when that came out. I played half of Resident Evil 4, and then I played a portion of Resident Evil 1, which I did not care for. <laughs> was not a big fan of Resident Evil One just because of the uh, the camera style and how it's like fixed and positioned. I wasn't a big fan mm. of that. Um, but I feel like those three games for uh, two remake and seven are unique enough that you could really play them in any order. Mm. Yeah, Where, I'm definitely. Yeah, go ahead. The only really similarity I can think of is the inventory system is pretty similar. But outside of that, they they all have a unique feel to them. That's that's uniquely their own. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to put out a poll at some point, like asking people, hey, at this point, what order should I play these games in? Because I'm sure that there are people smarter and more knowledgeable than me that have probably thought this out as well. Oh, I'm sure there are huge Resident Evil fans who can break down the entire franchise for you and tell you which ones to start, which ones to ignore. Yeah, um, two is a highlight of the year for me. Without hmm. being a huge Resident Evil fan, very very good game. 
Cool. Um, more rumors. Uh, there's a new Assassin's Creed Ragnarok rumors. Claim it's going to be revealed February 2020, coming from Brianna Reeves at PlayStation Lifestyle. If it's being announced in February 2020, have the feeling that's going to be at like a Sony event <laughs> to show off the new consoles. Look at the new Assassin's Creed. Sounds like that could be what happens. That's just my own speculation. We do have some official uh, stuff to talk about with Quest this week, too. The first one, though, is kind of like semi-official. It's not really like... It, it's a comment by the technical director at Remedy who's talking about the load times on the next, uh, PS, PS5. And I'm not going to read the whole quote here, but basically what he's saying is is that the the instant load times is really applicable if you're talking about like Spider-Man, which is on PS4, with assets on a PS4. But if developers choose to utilize the faster capabilities of the SSD, you can still see load times that are comparable to nowadays if there are larger assets that are being stored on those SSDs. He's basically saying, temper expectations. Mm. It's not going to be instant, most likely. I thought that was interesting. I wouldn't have really noted that if it weren't for a technical director at Remedy who would know about that kind of stuff and yeah. probably already has a dev kit and is aware of the, the limitations of the system. Yeah. All right. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And no, then, nothing much else to say here. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, Blitter Witch and its very good docker coming to PS4 next month. That's Matthew Olson at US Gamer. It's coming December 3rd. So if you want to play Blitter Witch, don't have an Xbox, I have the opportunity. All right. Moving on to the fun stories this week, though third-party quest log really focused on half-life alex so we have the trailer for half-life alex and then jeff Keeley had an interview called the final hours with the half-life uh, alex developers mm. you watched the trailer right yes i did what did you think uh it looks really cool obviously let's get this out of the way right now you know it's been disappointing to a lot of the half-life community that they're going to only be able to continue the half-life saga on valve's um uh kind of virtual reality headset which is you know a whole conundrum uh both a physical conundrum and a commercial conundrum to kind of get your hands on uh but i think it is really cool after all this time that we have that we're finally going to be getting new half-life stuff even though it does actually invalidate one of gamers old videos oh really How so? yeah well because one of the videos that we put out in 2018 i believe was the rise and fall of half-life and it basically ends with us talking <laughs> about like how yeah valve you know promised here and there that they would do half-life 2 episode 3 or half-life 3 and nothing ever came of it and who knows whether or not this series is going to ever continue in the future and now look at that the series is going to continue in the future so uh, uh, hey, at least we got all the views we need to get out of that video, so I can't complain. <laughs> well, yeah, now you can make another one, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again That's of true. Half-Life. There yeah. you go. Like, you could take that title free of charge. That's true. <laughs> um, we um, So, like, on the, uh, the way the game looks itself, you know, ignoring all the frustration concerning it being a VR title, I appreciate how much it seems like this game is going to be a puzzle game as much as it's going to be a shooter. It seems like there's a lot of uh, puzzles that need to be solved, and I am very much looking forward to that because, and this is just my personal opinion, uh, having to constantly reload the cartridge into your gun looks like it could be pretty tedious. Yeah, it's intricate. You don't just put the cartridge in the gun. You also have to, like, I don't even know about guns. You have to, like, pull the top of it back as well. Like, it's a full process. 
Yeah. And it's like, cool. Like I, I, it's really cool that we uh, have the tech now that we can do that sort of thing in VR, but like that does not sound as fun to me personally as some of the other stuff that was on display in the trailer. Yeah. It definitely seems like they're trying to make a full on like triple a VR experience. Whereas a lot of other VR games are, you know, three to four hour kind of side experiences that are enjoyable and fun but they're not like a full, you know, Call of Duty campaign where it's like this full, like, you know, first person shooter, just like the AAA budget and all that stuff. And it's like the first time we're seeing that. And that that's exciting mm. for sure. I, uh, I will say, you know, uh, historically, the Half-Life series, w- while there are a lot of uh, silent protagonists in games, I feel like the Half-Life series kind of has the quintessential silent protagonist in Gordon Freeman. And it's going to be interesting going from, you know, Half-Life 2 uh, and Half-Life 1 where Gordon Freeman is silent the whole time to this game where you're playing as Alex who is not a silent protagonist I'm interested to see like if they temper how much she talks and make it so that she only really speaks in you know moments where there isn't a lot of intensive action going on or if they actually really do lean into the fact that she can talk a lot and have her mm-hmm. you know intoning her inner thoughts and whatnot constantly yeah, um, that'd be interesting to see, especially in VR, where it's kind of coming from your own head, which is kind of weird. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll we'll see how that plays out. I think it's I for me, it being a VR game didn't surprise me too much. I'd already kind of figured that, like when they were talking about Half Life Three, one of the things Gabe Newell had said several several years ago at this point, before even development of this game began, is that if Half Life were ever return, it would really be at the onset of some sort of new technology that they could utilize. Yeah. So as soon as they said that, I'm like, oh, VR, it's going to come back as a VR game. Hmm. That's kind of where they could really revolutionize and do something unique that hadn't been done before. Whereas that, I mean, well, not whereas, but because Half Life Two was known for that. Half Life was known for that of taking this medium that people had known and really doing something unique with it. You really hadn't have didn't really have like a a narrative like half-life where you're following an average everyday person Mm. who is kind of overwhelmed by these kind of bizarre supernatural circumstances right half-life 2 had its physics engine and the gravity gun like kind of stuff like things we hadn't seen before in the genre it makes sense that they'd have they'd really want to utilize vr to do things that haven't been done with with first person shooters so it's it's cool to see um definitely makes the barrier to entry too high for me that I'll never play this game. Because mm. I don't have any sort of VR set up currently. Hmm. Yeah. But it's cool to see it's happening. Yeah, uh, uh, I think it's cool as well. I'm, I'm looking forward to eventually playing it myself, although I have no clue when that's going to be. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Keighley had an interview with them, which I think is worth watching if anyone yeah. listening to this wanted to watch it. Um, did you see the interview at all? So, unfortunately, I didn't. However, um, way back in the day when I researched the video for gamers on the history of Half-Life, I did read uh, Jeff Keighley's The Final Hours of the Original Half-Life. Like, basically, Mm -hmm. he's been doing these The Final Hours of, like, kind of documentary interview articles slash videos for, like, a really long time now. And this was basically, I'd imagine, like, a kind of callback to that. It was probably Val's way of being like, hey, we really want to show that we're really committed to the Half-Life. Life series feature so Jeff Keighley why not come over and do this uh, with us once more uh, so it was I did not see it but I was, I was really kind of heartened to see that they had done that again yeah actually Jeff Keighley calls out the very beginning of it like the other ones he had done he makes reference to Half-Life Half-Life 2 and Portal he did Final Hours yeah. 
for all three of those games. He also mentioned he's excited to keep talking to them as well. Yeah. So I don't know if that means we're going to see more of this game at the Game Awards, which would kind of make sense, or if we'll do another kind of breakdown of that game in, in the Final Hours format when the game comes out. But it was kind of a cool interview. They were surprisingly candid about things. They, they just blatantly talked about Half-Life 3 and how this game isn't Half-Life 3 because the developers and the team at Valve saw that as a daunting task. Like, to approach Half-Life 3, they just kind of... It's... The stress levels get really high, I can imagine, because there's a lot of yeah. expectations when you put Half-Life 3 as the title of your game. So it was almost like a relief to say, hey, we can work on Half-Life, but it doesn't have to be the one that everyone has super, unbelievably, shockingly high hopes for. Um, but it also is interesting that it didn't start off with them saying, we want to make Half-Life in VR. It started with, we want to make just a VR game that really takes advantage of VR as much as possible. Like, we are a big-budget studio. We're not an indie studio. We can make a huge game if we wanted to, and let's do that in VR. And they said they were thinking about doing Portal, but they realized that would be kind of nauseating. Mm-hmm. Like, how fast you can move through those portals in VR might just be too much for people. Yeah. And Half-Life started becoming a good extension of what they were trying out and experimenting with in VR. So that was mm. kind of cool to see how that happened as well. It's a good interview if you ever want to watch the full version of it. It's like 20 minutes or so. Yeah, I mean, at 20 it's minutes, I, there's no reason for me not to watch it myself. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, cool. All right. So we got a Google Stadia. So Google Stadia came out this week, and uh, the reviews of the GameStop, not GameStop, GameSpy had a nice little kind of review roundup. I kind of <sighs> just went through to see general text what people are saying and i think the most positive reviews are pretty lukewarm mm-hmm. and then it goes right to bad there's that's kind of the range lukewarm to bad and most people seem to think that it's it's an interesting idea it's cool to see this being attempted but it's just not ready yet the game's available are available everywhere else and depending on who's reviewing it, i found that they mentioned the lag more than others like i think it was the washington post they have a video where they're literally hitting the space bar and just waiting a few seconds before his character jumps up. Other games, hmm. other people didn't seem to mention the, the lag too much, but either way, it, even the most positive reviews aren't too positive on it. Have you heard anything differently? Because that's kind of the consensus that I've gathered. Uh, unfortunately not. It seems like whenever I see Google Stadia represented on social media, it's some sort of thing like, oh, the Google Stadia subreddit is blowing up with people that are not happy. It's it's unfortunately all bad at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Google, as everyone knows, but it's not... I'm sure they're not having a great time right now, and I, I can sympathize with that. Mm. Because I'm sure that it is very cool technology, and they've worked very, very hard on it. Um, the response from... I'm actually going to skip this middle story here. We'll to the third one. Because um, you mentioned the subreddit and the upset there. So some of Stadia's biggest supporters are beginning to turn against it, from Colin Stevens at IGN. So one of the big upsets, and I this is a small thing, but I think it's still upsetting. If you got the Founders Pack, then you got the ability to get your username for Stadia before everyone else on a first-come, first-served um, basis. First dibs, you get your username. But they're not getting their access codes to get their username. For the hmm. people who just decided to go on to Stadia's app or the website on launch day and sign up, did get the access code and were able to get their usernames before people who pre-ordered, which is kind of crummy considering they were really pushing that as a reason to pre-order. Uh. 
So, okay, so here's the thing. I, I may have told you this off-air in one of our PlayStations together, but there was a brief period of time where I was actually really contemplating getting in on Google Stadia just because I wanted to make sure that I could get the Cozy Bear handle. Um, I have a bad experience online in getting the Cozy Bear handle, handle on various like social media platforms and whatnot. I... Um, I only realized kind of very late into my kind of life as an internet person that, oh, I should probably get the same handle across all of my accounts and it should always be Cozy Bear. And so that's why, for example, on Twitter, I'm uh, my at is at Alex Cozina. And in my name, I put Alex and then quotation marks Cozy Bear Cozina. It's why like on PlayStation Network, my username there is like Cozina Awesome or something like I. I got in real late on getting that handle. And so when Google Stadio was coming up and they're like, hey, pre-order and you can get uh, your handle in advance, it's like, oh, this might be, if Google Stadio really blows up and becomes really huge in the future, I'm going to want to really make sure that I get on in on this so that Cozy Bear isn't taken by somebody else who plays two hours of Grand Theft Auto V and then never plays anything again. <laughs> uh, and now I'm happy in retrospect that I did not do that. I'm surprised Cozy Bear is a hard name to get because it's K-O-Z-I Bear. It's a, uh, it's a unique way of spelling cozy. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, uh, the person who has that handle on Twitter, for example, uh, they, it seems like they weren't really there from the beginning. In fact, I think they may have joined Twitter after I joined Twitter. It's just, I don't know, luck of the draw, I guess. It's a big world out there. Yeah. Um, so going back to Stadia here, um, I thought this was really bad. Google Stadia app has been downloaded over 175,000 times. This is the only indication we really have of how well it's quote-unquote selling because they've not released pre-order numbers. But even then, this isn't a good indicator of how much it's selling because anyone can download the app. Hmm. But if you have Stadia, you have downloaded the app. So hmm. you can assume that's... It's less than 175,000 people who have gotten Stadia and are using Stadia. I downloaded the app, so I know you can download it. It's possible to get it. It's on 90%. So of the 175,000, 90% of that's on uh, Android. 10% of that is on iOS. 41% from the United States. Um, Not a great launch number. I'm hoping next year when it's free, more people try it out. But yeah, in terms of number-wise, not a great week. Reception-wise, not a great week. Upsetting the community in the first week, not a great week. Just everything yeah. about this week has not been great for Stadia. It has not been great indeed. Nintendo, though, Pokemon Sword and Ooh. Shield has been having a good week. Indeed. So, Pokemon Sword and Shield are the fastest selling Switch games yet. This is from Damian McFerrin at Nintendo Life. It sold 6 million copies in the first week, which means it beat out uh, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. So I don't have the numbers for that, but that was the record holder before this. 2 million of those copies were in the U.S. alone, and it's the highest grossing launch ever for a Pokemon series. Not the highest selling, the highest grossing, because of $60 per unit as opposed to right, 40 right um it did undersell in some ways but not in all 1.36 million copies were sold in japan in the first three days where sun and moon did 1.9 million in japan hmm. in the same three-day period um but i couldn't find any numbers to compare sun and moon on first week sales worldwide the closest i found was uh 3.7 million in america within the first two weeks for sun and moon 
Mm. So it seems like it's selling better than Sun and Moon yeah. did. So much for hashtag boycott Pokemon or hashtag yeah, Game know, Freak right? Light or hashtag <laughs> Dexit or <laughs> there, there are so many hashtags <laughs> surrounding this game. It's insane. Well, it's the biggest franchise in the world. I so mean, that, that is a good lot point. Down. Yeah, and it, the Switch also has less uh, units out there than the 3DS did at the time that Sun and Moon came out by a good yeah. like 10 million. So it, it's this is an impressive feat for sure. Mm. So good for them. Good for them. Alex. Yes. We were talking about Nintendo franchises. We were. And how they're going to compete against PS5 and Xbox DOS or whatever they call it next year when it comes out. Let's go through this, kind of figure out what they're going to do next year. You wanted to lead this. I'll let you take over. I believe that the way that kind of this whole discussion started is we were talking amongst ourselves about how you guys think that Zelda Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be out by the holiday of 2020 because Nintendo needs something that it can use to kind of leverage itself and compete with Sony and Microsoft's new consoles. And that kind of brought us into this other discussion of like, you know, what other Nintendo franchises uh, can they, what other franchises can Nintendo use to kind of prop themselves up and and, you know, look good in comparison to the next-gen uh, consoles. Like, is only Zelda and Mario the only games that they can use? And we initially, mm-hmm. you know, brought up Metroid, of course. Um, but after the fact, I went up online and did some research. And there are quite a few Nintendo franchises right now that have not yet made it to the Switch. That I'm not saying that all of these are franchises that are going to blow consumers away and are going to basically make up for the kind of tremendous increase in competing power that the Xbox 2 and the PlayStation 5 are going to offer. But I do feel like they are worth considering in the discussion of what has Nintendo not yet brought to the Switch and, uh, you know, uh, could these potentially give the Wii U a bit of a bump? So Mm -hmm. I have a total of 38 different franchises here. Actually, hold on. 37, not 38. Uh, and yeah, let's get right into it. But Nintendo only makes Mario and Zelda. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, they don't just make those games. They make a lot more. Um, so the first one that I want to bring up briefly, um, like not all these franchises we're going to discuss at length. Some were just going to be like, oh yeah, that one existed. All right, on to the next one. Um, <laughs> was the 1080 franchise. You remember this one? I do remember 1080. Yeah, snowboarding, right? Yeah. All right, on to the next one. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it, it'd be cool if they brought this one back, but I don't see them bringing it back, and I don't no. really know that it would have all that much of an effect. Uh, next one, I have these ordered in alphabetical order, so you'll be pleased to know that the next one is Advance Wars. Yes. I would like Advance Wars to come back. Fire Emblem had to come back with the 3DS, because they were going to make Awakening as the final Fighter Emblem game, and then it did really well, so they actually ended up continuing the franchise, and I'm hoping they try to give Advance Wars its, uh, its 15 minutes of fame again. Yeah. Get um, it out there. So, recently, uh, Intelligent Systems Director Toshiyuki Kusakihara uh, had an interview at IGN ahead of uh, the Fire Emblem Three Houses launch, and he basically told IGN that they don't even have time to think about what they're doing after Three Houses. 
Um, and he said, you know, while we can say that we're working on the DLC and there's going to be a lot of content for Fire Emblem, we don't even have the time to think about what we're going to be doing afterwards. Uh, we'll be pretty busy, but we're going to keep working with Intelligent Systems and Koi Tecmo on all the content that's coming. So basically, doesn't seem like it's headed for an imminent comeback there. Yeah, it also just take them, even if they decide to do Advanced Wars, it's going to take them time. Yeah. It wouldn't be a 2020 release anyway. Yeah. I um so over the course of the summer as I was getting like into streaming, I actually played through the first two Advance Wars games because you can purchase them at the moment on the Wii U Virtual Console if you still have a Wii U. And I thought both were fun games. I definitely understood the appeal of them. Personally did not absolutely adore them. I thought that like it was rare in my experience that I feel like the games kind of hit that perfect balance of both being like satisfying and challenging and but not being overly difficult or having kind of too many different factors that you have to pay attention of, to on the battlefield. Um, but that's just me. I also think that like this is one of those series where if I had played it back in the day, back on the original Game Boy Advance, and it had been like I would be, I'd been like in a car ride with my parents, and this had been all I had to cling on to while in the middle of a twelve-hour road trip, I would have absolutely adored that, adored it. So uh, th- that's something that I've kind of had to tell myself over time since playing them. Yeah, that's that's was my experience, or with the only thing I could play for a while. Mm. So I kind of, at least the the second one. I never played the first one, but the second one. Mm. Which I I think the second one, a lot of people I think have a little bit more fond memories of the first one because from the first one to the second one, there aren't a whole lot of differences. So it's like, it's easy to kind of like praise the first one for being such a revolution that it was and less so to praise the second one for only substantially improving on the first one. But the second one is definitely the better one, IMO. Plus those Neo tanks. Those Neo tanks are badass. Yeah, they are. They are. Uh, so yeah, that was Advanced Wars. We'll see if there's anything that comes of that. Uh, number three, Chibi Robo. <laughs> they teased at this a while ago. There was like uh, one week where there was a. I can't remember what year it was. I think it was last year. There was there's going to be a Nintendo Direct. It was rumored. It oh, was yeah. just kept being rumored like it's going to be on Thursday. And there was no announcement Tuesday. There was no announcement Wednesday. And then, like, an hour before the Direct ended up posting, Nintendo just released a photo of Chibi-Robo like fire. holding his arms out. And it was like, oh, they're going to do a Direct, and it's going to feature Chibi-Robo. And then it never happened. I've never played Chibi-Robo before. That was my introduction to Chibi-Robo was that week. Yeah. Uh, the thing about Chibi-Robo is the last game in the series, if you recall, was Chibi-Robo Ziplash for the 3DS. And it basically took this sort of like kind of unorthodox 2D platforming uh, take on this series that previously like they had been more like 3D platformers in their uh, design. And uh, the community didn't really love it. And unfortunately, ahead of the game's release, uh, Kensuke Tanabe, the game's producer, basically said that 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 game was kind of the series last hope that if it didn't really kind of uh, meet expectations the series is probably going to be packing its bags, so who knows whether or not anything will come of that. Uh, number four. Do you remember Cubivore? I've never heard of this. Oh, man. Cubivore was co-developed by Intelligent Systems for the GameCube. It's basically, what if Pokemon were cubes, like very kind of like voxely looking animals, and they mated with each other and ran around environments, and it got like a six. 
<laughs> a six out of ten. Yeah. So not a great game. <laughs> no. I, I just so like I know that at the top of these shows you like to sometimes question people like, hey, do you remember Anthem? <laughs> um, which you didn't do on this episode, by the way, in which I was a little bit disappointed you did not do that. Although I figure at this point, everybody remembers Anthem. So um, <laughs> it's well, kind of Chad's thing. I don't want to take it from him. Got it. Got it. Uh, like, do you remember Cube of War is going to basically be my version of do you remember Anthem from here on out? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, you don't remember Anthem. And I don't think that. Sorry, you don't remember Cube of War. And unfortunately, I don't think that. Uh, Nintendo remembers Cube of War either, so we're going to move no. on that. Number five, do you remember Custom Robo? No. Okay, these are like these... I saw it when I was looking up all the different franchises. There's a bunch of franchises. I'm like, I never didn't even know Nintendo did this. Cube of War was one of them, and um, the what did you just mentioned it? Custom Robo. Custom Robo. That's one of them too. <laughs> Custom Robo is one of those franchises that, um, like, you see it represented a fair bit in Smash Brothers, but unfortunately, uh, you do not see it represented in a lot of games as of recent, and I don't think it will either. It's unfortunate because, like, it kind of has an aesthetic that you don't really see in a lot of other Nintendo franchise, franchises, that, like, kind of Gundam mech aesthetic to it, but... I feel like, uh, what was the mech game that came out recently? Damon X Machina? Yeah. Yeah, between that and like some of the stuff that's been featured in um, the Xeno uh, Blade stuff uh, recently, I feel like Nintendo kind of has the their mech game down pat on the Switch for the time being. Um, number six. Now, Pokemon has already been represented on the Switch, However, a branch of Pokemon that is not yet been represented on the Switch that we are anticipating is Detective Pikachu. That's right. They did announce a sequel for Switch. Yeah. They have announced that. When did they announce that? That was... um, Do you remember that really weird press conference earlier in the year? Uh, Which one? (laughs) Press conferences are usually weird. This is the Game Freak press conference where it was like a live event where (laughs) they had that like one jingle. It's like, na, 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 na. And they had like a a dozen different guests come up and talk about the most mundane. Like, we're proud to announce Pokemon Sleep. We're proud to announce Pokemon (laughs) Go Plus Plus. Uh, yeah, at the very end of that conference, they announced that Detective Pikachu was going to be receiving a continuation that was going to be different from the movie. They they weren't really specific, though, in stating whether it was just going to be like a port with an added on chapter or like a sequel. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. I'm at Polygon right now. They, they announced it on May 28th. So recently enough that I, I think it wouldn't be in 2020. Hmm. Um. No details, really. Just They're bringing it to Nintendo Switch. The details of this game are still a mystery, so keep checking back here for more clues. Mm. I, that would hint to me that it's not going to be a remake. They would have been open and be like... To say mystery would suggest we don't know what it is. We know mm. what the first game is. Got it, got it. Hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, number seven. Do you remember Dylan's Rolling Western? That was on 3DS. Yeah, they were. Uh, I never played it. I know of it. Never played it. 
Yeah, I played a little bit of the first game in that series back in the day because I feel like it probably came out at a drought and I wanted something to play. Um, I remember being like, okay, cool. I, I'm kind of getting vibes of like the Goron controls from Zelda Majora's Mask and that you're like rolling this mm-hmm. thing around and it's breaking into rocks. Um, didn't really stick with me, and I feel like this is. Well, again, it will. All of Nintendo's franchises will continue to receive representation in Smash Brothers until the end of time. I feel like this one is probably not going to receive much more than that as well. Yeah. Um, number eight uh, on the subject of really obscure Nintendo franchises, and by the way. I want to mention in advance, when I put this list together, as I said at the front, I did this in alphabetical order, and it just so happened that all of the, like, super obscure stuff that nobody cares about anymore is right at the front. This <laughs> this franchise, I'm about to state in just a second, is the last super obscure franchise. After that, we're mostly going to be smooth sailing. So, just bear with me. Do you remember Doshin the Giant? No. <laughs> So, Doshin the Giant was like a god game, basically, that was released early in the GameCube's life cycle. It, um, you remember, like, Operation Rainfall? No, I don't remember that at all. I don't remember it. Oh, boy. Okay, so, (laughs) I was hoping, like... I've let down Alex. (laughs) Operation Rainfall is, like, like, a more of a recent kind of event thing. It was that thing where... Late into the Wii's life cycle, people were complaining online, like, hey, where's um, Xenoblade Chronicles? Where's The Last Story? Where are all these, like, Japanese RPGs that the the Wii is getting in Japan, but is not getting in America in this time of a kind of great drought for games? Um, I was hoping to kind of, like, bring that up as a point of comparison to kind of compare what the situation was with Doshin the Giant, where that game debuted on the GameCube kind of at the beginning of the console's life cycle. It received um, a lot of, like, positive reception from journalists at press events. Uh, The community kind of clung on to it as, like, oh, man, this will be a really kind of cool cool game to potentially uh, come over to the West. It didn't seem like it was coming to the West. People complained. Finally, it came over to the West, and good old Per Schneider of IGN.com awarded the game a 2.5 out of 10. <laughs> Which basically ruined its hopes of ever continuing as a franchise again. Yeah, so that was kind of... Yeah, I, I don't even know if Doshin the Giant has any like representation in Smash Brothers. Somebody will have to Twitter at me after the fact and let me know if that's not the case. But yeah, it's not... Like, you talk about, like, the Virtual Boy being obscure. Like, Doshin the Giant is more obscure than the Virtual Boy when it comes to weird Nintendo failures. And um, Even Nintendo doesn't shaft the Virtual Boy. They kind of bring it up in jest. Oh, yeah. They, they love the but, Virtual Boy. But not, not Doshin Giant. No, not, not that Not one. Doshin the Giant. <laughs> All right. Number nine. This is The series is still, I would say, we're still in slightly in the obscure kind of like area but this is definitely several steps up from doshin the giant uh the excite series so when i say oh, excite, excite bike yeah. yeah excite bike excite truck excite bots trick racing which was the wii one yeah a- any shot of this coming back i don't know i kind of feel like that franchise's future is kind of like levels in mario kart and in some sort of references in smash bros because if they have an excite bike level yeah in mario kart 8 deluxe yeah, yeah. I feel unfortunately, like that's its, its future. Yeah, uh, the, the Excitebot guys—they seem like they're better when they're used as a reference than they are in their own game, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate. Yeah. 
Um, number 10. This is a series that I did not, like, typically, I don't think of it as a Nintendo franchise, and I don't think that you think of it that way either. And yet, it is on Nintendo's franchise page. Uh, Fatal Frame. Yeah, that was a GameCube franchise that I I have never played before. Well, it, it, it's kind of like, it's in the same vein as, like, uh, the Xeno series, in that it was not a Nintendo franchise, and then it was kind of brought into the fold as a result of some acquisitions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there was the one that came out on the Wii U in 2014. That was the last one. And, um, hold on a sec. I think I actually... Here we go. Um, so, this is a story on Nintendo Everything uh, from actually just a couple of weeks ago on November 19th, 2019. Um Apparently, series producer Keisuke Kikuchi has expressed interest in bringing a new entry to the Switch. Kikuchi currently has his hands full with the upcoming Fairy Tale RPG, but told Nintendo everything that he'd be open to revisiting Koi Tecmo's horror IP. Yeah, I'd like to do a Fatal Frame on the Switch, Kikuchi said. I think it'd be a ton of fun to play with the console in handheld mode and moving all around. So... Who knows? I, I think it's entirely possible. I think it's still really weird that this has become one of those default, de facto Nintendo franchises, but uh, yeah. it's It, it had uh, an entry in 2015 with Fatal Frame Maiden of Blackwater on the Wii yeah. U, so it actually hasn't even really been that long. I think it's totally feasible. Yeah, I am. We'll see. Um, we'll see. All right, we got through the first ten of games. Sorry, franchises on this list. We had a lot of weird, you know, Kivavors and Doshin the Giants. Now we're getting into the real stuff. <laughs> Number eleven, F Zero. <laughs> I think a lot of Nintendo fans would love F Zero to make a comeback. Yeah. Don't think it's going to happen. Do, I mean, do you think that Nintendo can kind of still market an F-Zero today on the premise that, hey, this is like a grown-up, mature version of Mario Kart? Or do you think that Nintendo's kind of like need to make games that appeal to people of all ages means that they probably won't do that? I think the market for F-Zero is now Wipeout. Hmm. And why, I mean, I had never played Wipeout or no, F-Zero on SNES. But what I've seen of it, I feel like if it came back, it would really be Wipeout. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I, um, so my uh, initial exposure to the F-Zero series was actually in college. Uh, there's this one club that was a kind of a couple of cubicles over from this other club that I used to hang out in. And they had a like TV set up with a, uh, like Nintendo 64 and a GameCube and the whole biz. And like, there would be this one guy who would always be playing F zero over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And just kind of watching him, not even like watching the person playing the game, just watching the footage of it on screen. I'm like, I get this. This is one of those games that like you just practice until you get good, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like for that reason alone, I feel like yeah, this it definitely. I don't feel like if they were to introduce it, that there would be any fears of it uh, feeling too similar to Mario Kart. But at this point, I feel like the ship has sailed. Has sailed on Nintendo specifically being the kind of like. Uh, the developer to kind of herald that series and bring it back. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Uh, number 12, uh, golden sun. 
It's been a while since we had Golden Sun. Actually, I'm, I have a list up right now um, I'm following along with. Yeah. Let me look that one up, because I'm pretty sure the last Golden Sun I'm aware of came out in the Game Boy Advance. Uh, there was some one on the DS in 2010. Okay. That's a late DS game. Yeah, it was. Um, that one was also not like really well liked all that much. Okay. There was. Um, it, it's funny. Over the course of the summer, two people that I follow on social media were actually both playing through Golden Sun, kind of independently of one another, uh, and offering their thoughts. The DS Golden Sun, and both of them were pretty much like, "Yeah, this game is just not that great." Um, and I, that's unfortunate because you know, it, it sucks when a franchise kind of goes away, but it sucks even more when the franchise goes away as a result of its last entry not really kind of doing it for the franchise faithful and um mm-hmm. unfortunately it seems like that's kind of what happened with golden sun yeah i this is one of those things where even if it came back i, I don't don't know how much of a mark it would make in terms of like think about a nintendo direct and they close it off and say golden sun i don't know if people would really be too amped about that mm. uh number 13 kid icarus I I so desperately, desperately want this series to come back. The way I see it, Kid Icarus on the 3DS, uh, Kid Icarus Uprising, is it's like Persona 4 before it received the golden version. There is a fantastic game in there that is just waiting to be ported to another console and be given an opportunity to really shine and discover a whole new audience willing to love it. Um, but it is not received that kind of port and unfortunately it doesn't seem like it's going to um master hero sakurai was asked about this at the end of 2018 and he said in this interview with edge magazine basically as a game in general it's rich in content and enjoyable and people have even asked for a modern port however i don't think that this will be possible and he talked about also like how it was a really really difficult point in his career and it seems like Technically, the game was really challenging to make, and it's probably going to be equally challenging to port to the Switch. I do think that there might be another Kid Icarus game at some point in the future, though. That game had an impact when it came out. Yeah. uh, Sorry. No, that's it had an impact when it came out. That's that was my point. Okay, yeah, it's um, I remember you know uh, ahead of the game's release, uh, Masahiro Sakurai had a Nintendo uh, sorry an Iwata ask with uh, Satoru Iwata, rest in peace, and Satoru kind of commented like you know it'd be really cool if in the future Kid Icarus could become an evergreen franchise in the vein of like Mario or Zelda, and I remember reading that and being like oh shit this is really cool like finally we're gonna have like more of an you know anime s Nintendo franchise at the with that's really kind of rich in story, uh, kind of at the forefront of their slate, and um, you know it didn't sell poorly, Kid Icarus Uprising, but it just it didn't do quite highly enough to really kind of result in that, unfortunately. Uh, by, by the way, did you ever play Uprising? No, I didn't. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I highly recommend it, but if there was a Switch port incoming, I would more just recommend getting that. But unfortunately, it does not seem like it's going to happen. Um, I just game I did want to play. I just, for some reason, never played it. Yeah. So, number 14 on this list that I had noted down here, Mario and Luigi. So, recently, this was in the news because Alpha Dream, the developer behind the series, recently went under. Do you think that there's any possibility that Nintendo might 
can this kind of IP off to another developer and bring it back? Or do you think that it is gone for good? I think 100% it's coming back. 100%. Really? The, the last game didn't sell that well, but that's because it was a remake and it was on 3DS. Hmm. And I feel like those games, at least just in my memory, have been a good B-tier franchise for Nintendo to have around. The hmm. kind of Mario RPG hasn't existed yet on the Switch. Yeah. We don't have Paper Mario. We don't have Mario and uh, Luigi game. One of those is going to have to make it over. Yeah, so, like, skipping ahead a couple of entries, I also had noted down Paper Mario on this list and just Mario RPG, so, like, more in the vein of Super Mario RPG on the SNES. Like, of Mm -hmm. those three potential candidates, which one do you think kind of comes out first? I think Paper Mario is the most likely. If In order to go Paper Mario, Mario Mm -hmm. Luigi, Mario RPG. Mm -hmm. I think Paper Mario is the most likely. Do you think that they try and position Paper Mario to be more of a like RPG uh, this time around or do you think that they try and keep it a little bit more platformy and then have another Mario game come out that's more of an RPG? I think Paper Mario I haven't played Thousand Year Door. Uh, Um, I've only played Sticker Star um, yeah I only played Sticker Star and it was mm. a pretty RPG it was an RPG it, game for sure and, mm. as much as a Mario game can be an RPG I um, so like before Sticker Star there's the original Paper Mario on the Nintendo 64 there's mm-hmm. uh, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door on the GameCube which he just said and then there's Super Paper Mario on the Wii those first three games are way more RPGs than Sticker Star was Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, I mean, they're they're still not incredibly deep RPGs. I'm not going to say they're like, oh, they're, uh, like, up there with, like, a Bioware game, for example. But Yeah, well, neither uh, a Super Mario RPG. That's a pretty straightforward no. game. Um, but, like, Paper Mario, as it currently exists with Sticker Star and Color Splash, are way more kind of platform-esque than they are RPG-esque. And that's kind of why I was bringing that up. Okay. Interesting. I haven't played the other one. So, like, for me, when I was playing uh, Sticker Star... Knowing what Mario games are a platform like, it felt more like an RPG to me. That's actually interesting to know, though, that Thousand Year Door in particular is more of an RPG because I do want to play those at some point. Mm. So, on the subject of like Mario spinoff games, uh, for number 15, 16, and 18 on my list, I have three Mario sports franchises that we have not seen on the Switch. We have Mario Baseball slash Sluggers, we have Mario Golf, and we have Mario Strikers, which is the soccer slash football one i forgot about mario golf i would love to see mario baseball make a comeback mario baseball and gamecube is one of my favorite mario sports games mm. apparently it was not a very well received game but i still love the hell out of it even though it was really hard when you got to the star difficulty mm. like unnecessarily hard but i liked that game a lot so i i would love to see that game make a comeback and one of those is gonna have to come back at some point mm. golf is probably their most popular though yeah, which is which is weird to me personally because like between all of the Mario sports franchises, I would think oh like soccer or baseball would be most popular. I wouldn't think golf would be most popular, but I guess th- those series games have received like the most polish over time, and I guess that's mm-hmm. kind of translated into the most attention and sales. Yeah, mm-hmm. I um I, I do want to briefly put in a word for Strikers. I um I remember on the Wii, Super Mario Strikers Charge is one of those games where when people talk about the best Wii games of all time, they typically don't bring up Super Mario Strikers Charged. And yet, whenever people bring up Charge, I feel like they always say, "Oh man, that was a really like good, really underrated Wii game." So who knows? Um, 
number 19 and number 20 uh, are two franchises near and dear to both of our hearts, Metroid Prime and Metroid as in 2D Metroids. Yeah, I was thinking about Metroid recently, and I feel like Metroid Prime obviously is not coming next year. I'd be floored if it came next year. Mm. Um, but I think a 2D Metroid is feasible. I don't know who would be working on it, which developer would be working on it, but it's feasible. 2017 is the last time that we saw a 2D Metroid game that was Samus Returns 2017, yeah. I think. Who did, that, um, who did Samus Returns again? Well, I'm going to find out. That was um, Mercury Steam, right? Yep, Mercury Steam. Yep. Yeah, I like. I would be very surprised if Nintendo does not attempt to collaborate with Mercury Steam again and do something else Metroid related. And I wonder if the reason why we haven't heard from them right away is because they transitioned from uh, like the, working with the 3DS to working with the Switch, and that has just resulted in their mm-hmm. development timeline being more prolonged than it otherwise would have been. If they're yeah. not working together on a new Metroid game, I still feel like they would probably want to work together on something, because it seems like that collaboration really worked out well for the both of them, and I wouldn't see why they would want to abandon things after that. A, a Metroid game would just sell really well, too. I mean, if you think about how the Metroidvania... <laughs> genre i feel like especially on the switch is kind of making a comeback with all of these indie games that are that follow that kind of metroidvania style look mm. like hollow knight for example i feel like they'd have to make a metroid game to kind of just continue in that legacy of of 2d style metroid games i mean historically the metroid franchises you know overall sales have been kind of uh they've there have been kind of like uh apexes and dips there have definitely been mm. like the series has definitely not been the biggest uh, bestseller that I feel like Nintendo has always wanted it to be, um, but it has the capacity to sell well. And I think that one thing that we've seen on the Switch is that we've seen a lot of N- Nintendo franchises that typically don't sell incredibly well, or you know, typically hadn't been had been kind of like on the downswell, like really kind of pick up. And I feel like uh, Metroid mm-hmm. has the potential to kind of like really be benefited to really benefit from the switch bump, so to speak. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number 21, mother slash earthbound. <laughs> uh, probably not, especially mother three. That will never happen at this point. Yeah. It, it's, um, so like, nonetheless, I did put this on the list because are you familiar with the YouTube channel boundary break? Yes. Yeah. So the kind of uh, person who's responsible for that channel, it's a YouTuber called She Says. Uh, he recently put out a tweet uh, that I feel picked up a lot of traction online in which he was like, hey, you know, um, Toby Fox, the creator of the Earthbound series, has been collaborating a lot with Nintendo recently. He got Sans as a uh, costume into Smash Brothers. He worked on music for Town, the uh, Game Freak game, and he worked on a bit of music for the Pokemon game as well. Um, and people, and he's like, I swear they're grooming this guy to potentially direct the next Earthbound slash Mother game. And I feel like a lot of Nintendo fans really kind of ran with that quote and are now kind of loudly proclaiming in their heads, like, oh my God, we're going to get a new Earthbound game from this guy in the future. (laughs) I don't feel like it's that guaranteed, but it certainly is interesting how much Nintendo is collaborating with this guy. Yeah, you're right. It has been a lot lately. That'd be interesting. I feel like to bring out a new mother game would 
result in a lot of pushback about still not having Mother 3. Yeah, that's a good point. They would probably so I don't know if they to... want to approach that, but they yeah. might want to do like a spiritual successor, like in the vein of Earthbound, here's a new game from Toby Fox. Yeah. And the uh, kind of like original kind of creative uh, voice behind that series, Shigesato Itoi, I believe that's his name. He, um, I feel like he's kind of, it strikes me that he doesn't really want the series to continue himself and that if Nintendo were to continue it without him, he would probably have something to say about that. So uh, I'm kind of curious whether or not that will be a roadblock in the future as well. Toby Fox made Undertale, didn't he? Yeah. Isn't that him? Yeah. That, yeah. Undertale. So he's made games on his own, essentially. Yeah. So it's just him making Undertale, correct? Yeah. Why don't? Why wouldn't they just pay him a crap ton of money to release his next game exclusively on Switch? That would be... That'd be huge. In a return, hey, yeah, I'll do that for you, but can I make some music for Pokemon? Because that'd be fun. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see. I um, I mean, uh, Deltarune, which is the newest project that he's working on, is not exclusive to Switch, but it did have a pretty big presence in uh, one of in the Nintendo Direct that it appeared in earlier in the year, if you remember. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I certainly don't think it's the end of uh, Nintendo and Toby Fox's collaborations, but I do think that mm, another Mother Earthbound, Earthbound game is a little ways off. Yeah. Uh, number 22. This is a game that you also noted down, I believe, on your own list earlier. Uh, NES Remix. Yeah. I think nostalgia is a big play for Nintendo right now. Mm. And it just makes sense that I think they would try to continue that with NES Remix again. Because those games did pretty... There's two of them. They did pretty well on 3DS. Mm. People have often pointed out, like, you know, the natural course of action after creating an NES remix would be to do, like, an NES remix. Uh, Do you feel like there's, like, probably just, like, technical reasons why they haven't kind of gone out and done that right away? Or... Like, do you I, think no that, like, I don't really know actually how they made I haven't even thought about how they made those games. Do they use the actual, you know, virtual console game to piece it together? Or do they just remake those levels for I, I, NES Remix? I like, don't know. In, in my, like, I feel like they probably just remade everything that is featured in that game. I don't think that there's any emulation going on. Yeah. Personally. And I'd have to imagine that that's, like, it's probably not the most complex thing in the world, but I probably f- figure that the prospect of, like, remaking the way that all those games feel has probably turned a lot of people off to the idea of uh, creating SNES Remix, but I'd still love to see it in the future. I think I'd be more interested in an SNES Remix than I would an NES Remix. Yeah. I just like the Super Nintendo lineup of games more than NES. Yeah. So yeah, that, that game would speak to me more. I think that's true of a lot of people. Yeah. With the NES library, like you have a few games like Kid Icarus, Metroid, uh, Zelda 2, Mario, that obviously everybody knows and loves, but then you start getting into a lot of Nintendo's other early NES games, and it's like, oh, yeah, Tennis, Urban Champion. <laughs> Your games that somebody in Nintendo still is very fond of and still wants to remind everyone that they exist, but those aren't really all that great um number 23 nintendogs if they're bringing brain age back they're gonna bring back nintendogs 
Yeah, this is one of those games. I don't have any attachment to this franchise. I don't particularly care for it. But the whole reason why we put together this list and figured we'd go through it in the first place is because we're trying to figure out what other Nintendo franchises can Nintendo put out to prop itself up and keep itself viable in the face of Sony and Microsoft's new consoles. And I mean, if they do it right, Nintendogs could be it all over again. Yeah, that was a huge, huge uh, series on the DS and 3DS. And in the DS and 3DS, they also had that era of games made for not necessarily a casual audience, but a different audience. Yeah. And Brain Age and Nintendogs fit into that. They're bringing Brain Age back. They're interested in that market. Nintendogs think we kind of fall in line. Mm. Do do you think that they're going to try and add on another animal with the next game? Because it was, if you recall, Nintendogs... Then it was Nintendogs plus cats on the 3DS. Are we going to get Nintendogs plus cats plus lizards? Plus this... ferrets. Oh, well, that's a good point. <laughs> ferrets have kind um, of picked up in popularity recently. Maybe it's just oh, me, but they? I feel like... I don't know. I've, I've noticed a couple of like noticed. people on Twitter. Anyways. Interesting. I, thinking about it, second-guessing myself here. I'm going to say no, even though I think they're going to bring it back. I think Nintendogs would be a really successful mobile game. Mm. Mm. So would Brain Age, though. And I think Brain Age would make a lot of sense on mobile as well. They're not doing that either. Yeah. They're bringing that to Switch. Mm. So who mm. knows? Who knows? Um, number 24, Pikmin. This is going to happen. I can't believe it hasn't happened already. I gotta find yeah. the article right now because Miyamoto has definitely said Pikmin Four is basically uh, done. Yeah, probably one of the most like remembered random articles from 2016 where he was like, "Yeah, Pikmin f- three. Sorry, did you say Pikmin f- four? Or was it yeah. Pikmin? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Pikmin Four is almost done. And then, I mean, was he talking about the 3DS game? Was that what he was referring to? No, because this was after that game was announced. It was. Yeah, so I'm actually on IGN right now. I just looked at Pikmin 4. Here's the Pikmin 4 page. Pikmin 4 progressing, says Shigeru Miyamoto. That was June 14th, 2017. September 1st, 2016, new Pikmin game announced for 3DS. So, hmm. Went well, a full year later, but enough time that it's definitely a different game. The quote is... Um, in an interview with Eurogamer, Miyamoto said that even though he can't share any new details about the game, Pikmin 4 is, quote, progressing. In a separate uh, statement, Nintendo followed up Miyamoto's comments confirming that Pikmin 4 is in development, but that is all we can confirm at present. Um, mm-hmm. And then the fourth installment of the series was first announced back in 2015 when Miyamoto revealed that the game was actually very close to completion and that the Pikmin teams were always working on the next one. A year later, Miyamoto revealed Pikmin 4 fell down a list of priorities in Nintendo, which was why there have been little to no updates on the game since its announcement. So they're working on it, but I guess it's not been their biggest priority. Probably because of the time mm-hmm. they're focusing on Zelda. That wouldn't surprise me to pull off Pikmin or bring to Zelda, maybe. Yeah. I, I always feel a little bit bad for Miyamoto whenever he talks about Pikmin, because way back in the day when Pikmin was first being developed, he was apparently like he would go around and be like, Pikmin is going to be the new Mario. Pikmin's going to be the new Mario. And Pikmin's a great game. Uh, Pikmin 2 and Pikmin 3 are great sequels, but they were definitely not the new Mario. And I feel like he... He always he still wants to make it into this big franchise, this big kind of tentpole release that Nintendo can mm-hmm. kind of rely upon. Uh, but who knows whether or not he'll ever be able to do so? Yeah. 
it'll happen eventually with Pikmin, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and then, you know, as we mentioned earlier with Metroid, you know, a lot of games on the Switch have definitely gotten that Switch bump, and maybe Mm -hmm. Pikmin will benefit in the same way. Um, Number 25, Pilot Wings. I don't know. I feel like Pilot Wings was big on SNES, it was big on N64, mostly because it was one of the only two launch games. I think on 3DS it was kind of like a joke launch title to a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know if people be excited about Pilot Wings coming back. Yeah, I uh, I realize that like I mean right now we're at like an hour and a half of recording, which is not any longer than the previous episode that you recorded. But we are going a little bit long, so I'm going to try and speed up things from here. Okay, uh, no uh, number twenty six, uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. You have any attachment to the series? I've never played one before, but I'm trying to think. Actually, I'm going to go to the page right now for it. How many of those do they have? Okay, they had them on Game Boy Advance, DS, and 3DS. So the it's like, consistent. The the thing is, is that when the series first launched, it, they did the whole like red and blue thing of like there are two different versions of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, but one of oh. them was on the Game Boy Advance and the other one yeah. was on the DS. So that's how they split them up. I see that now. Yeah, Red Rescue Team is on Game Boy Advance, and Red uh, sorry, and Blue Rescue Team is on the DS. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like they always want to annualize Pokemon to some degree because it's such a huge franchise. So will it happen again? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I I really hope that next time around they really do like work on making the gameplay loop a lot less tedious. This game is like, sorry, this series I, I think is one of the more frustrating Nintendo franchises in that the story like consistently is actually really really good. Like compared to the um, story of the kind of mainline Pokemon games, the Mystery Dungeon games actually go to some unexpectedly dark and cool places. Uh, and I think overall, man should tell a lot more kind of coherent and entertaining tale than the mainline games. But it, like interspersed in between these really cool story bits is a really, really monotonous dungeon crawler IMO. Uh, and so I really hope that they kind of work to improve that. Um, number 29, Rhythm Heaven. I've not played Rhythm Heaven before, so I don't really have a, an opinion on that. I don't really know yeah. too much about it. Yeah, the, um, I played a little bit of it here and there. Uh, the Rhythm Heather, Heaven producer, uh, Tsunku, uh, hold on a second. Uh, <laughs> this is a source from Nintendo Soup, and I was trying to see, wait, Tsunku, does he have a last name? It's like, no, he's just a popular Japanese <laughs> songwriter and record producer. Uh, who is helped out with the Rhythm Heaven series uh, and because he produced the first Rhythm Heaven game. And he said, yeah, I definitely consider it. Um, does not seem like it's going to be on the docket anytime soon, though. So it remains to be seen there. Uh, 30th, Sin and Punishment. Haven't played that one either. Don't know it. Those were um, so the whole deal with the original Sin Punishment is it was a kind of cult classic Nintendo 64 game that only came out in Japan. It came out on the Virtual Console on the Wii in both Japan and America for the first time, and it apparently did well enough that Nintendo basically commissioned a sequel. Uh, and the sequel was well received, but did not unfortunately sell very well. So nothing really kind of came of it there. Be cool to see it once more, but I also feel like uh, the Sin Punishment games, for the record, are like light gun games, and I feel like. That's kind of a genre that's gone out of style, and Kid Icarus, I feel, also did very similar things to what it did, but like on a more deeper scale. So, 
remains to be seen what happens there. Um, 31, Star Fox. Oh, 100% coming back. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the Star Fox series, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, has always gone kind of gone hand in hand with gimmicks. May they be hardware or software gimmicks. And certainly the Switch has a lot of gimmicks to kind of take advantage of and use. It's also a franchise I think is kind of ripe for a rethinking. And the Switch, that's kind of like the name of the Switch, is rethinking a lot of the franchises you already love. Yeah. Um, number 32, Steel Diver. I don't think so. That sounds, I don't know. I don't think people will be doing the rest Steel Diver game. All right, number 33. <laughs> Style Savvy. Haven't even heard of it. This is one of these, like, one of the, like, few Nintendo franchises that, like, they really market exclusively at girls. It's like, um, as the title implies, like a kind of, like, makeup, um, you know, style savvy. Dress up your girl uh, avatars and make them look really cool and real style savvy. Uh, there was a game on the original DS. There were three sequels on the 3DS. It seems like they, I mean... <laughs> three of them you were not kidding. Style Savvy Trendsetter, Style Savvy Fashion Forward, and Style Savvy Styling Star. I mean, they kept making them, so clearly they were doing well. Uh, but I guess kind of it was eventually diminishing returns, and they probably decided not to go back to it. This hmm. also screams, just like, uh, what was the other one we're talking about? Like Nintendogs? Like, this should be a mobile game. If it comes back, yeah. it's got mobile written all over it. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, number 34 and 35, Wario Land and WarioWare. Where is WarioWare? This doesn't make <laughs> any sense to me. The Switch is the perfect console for some really unique WarioWare <sighs> stuff. Yeah, we talked about this uh, a little while back. I think that, like, perhaps early on there were discussions to have 1-2-Switch be, like, the next WarioWare game, and then maybe at some point somebody decided, you know what, we need to make something a little bit more kind of, like, family-friendly of something that's a little bit more enticing towards the general consumer than Wario to sell this game, which um, is unfortunate, because I get that logic, but I feel like it actually probably would have sold way better if it was WarioWare branded. I used to work at a GameStop as a seasonal hire. And I'll never forget this moment because it floored me. I was so surprised. Oh, Someone came in. They said, I want to buy a Nintendo Switch. They called in. Like, I want to buy a Nintendo Switch. But before I buy it, I want to make sure you guys have 1-2 Switch in stock. It's the only reason I'm buying this thing. Okay. I just want to play 1-2 Switch. I think in my head, like, oh, my God, you're about to waste $350. I feel so bad for you. But if it was WarioWare, I'd be like, you're making a great choice. Yeah. And you should absolutely get the Switch with WarioWare. So yes, they should bring back WarioWare. Mm. Uh, and finally, uh, 36, uh, Wave Race. I think they're just anything racing related, it's Mario Kart. Mm. All right, and 37, yeah. Wii Fit. Uh, well, they have Ring Fit Adventure. That's their equivalent now. Yeah, the, you don't think they're going to try and do something a little bit more kind of, ca- uh, not casual is the right word, but I guess serious. I don't know. Ring Fit Adventure is actually a surprisingly good workout. And it, it seems like it actually picked up a lot of traction. It seems like a lot of people were talking about it. And yeah, uh, it also, well. as we'll get into in just a second, it picked up a Game Awards nomination. So, Yeah. Um, 
so looking back at this list, yeah. kind of the point of this list was what are these franchises will be able to hold up against a PS5 and an Xbox Two? Yeah, and, and not many of them. Yeah, which is sad. You know, I think this is kind of why they need to have Zelda Breath of the Wild two come out next year. Because Animal Crossing's huge franchise not going to sway anyone from a PS5 or PS2 though, because mm. it's just such a unique it's a, it's its own thing. But that's what's coming out in March. Um, Bayonetta is something that we haven't talked about. Bayonetta 3 technically is not a Nintendo property, but they do publish those games. Mm. And they've announced that there's a, a third one in development back at the Game Awards 2017. So maybe we're going to see some stuff there. All the talk we've heard this year, I forgot the di- uh, director's name who's working on it, but he was saying uh, a few times this year that, um, because actually what it was, after Metroid Prime got delayed, they asked, hey, you were announced in a similar way of just saying you're just in development with a with the logo and that's it. How's Bayonetta 3 coming along? Is it going to be like Prime 4? And he's like, no, 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 it's progress is going really well. Mm. And that's all, uh, all the, only the, com- the only official comments we really have in the game. I think that would be a good one for 2020. Yeah. It's like a um, really big action game. You know, it's sad. People often kind of like accuse and criticize Nintendo of only going back to the well with a couple of franchises. And looking over the slits, it's like, yeah, I mean, they go back to the well with Zelda and Mario and, uh, you know, Splatoon and whatnot because those franchises sell. There's some yeah. really beloved games on this list. I love, uh, like, some of the Wario Land games. I love. Uh, Metroid, I love Kid Icarus, but unfortunately, you know, it's rare that Nintendo franchises, uh, and uh, rare isn't right, the right word, but like the amount of Nintendo franchise, uh, franchises that both are huge sellers and that are, uh, uh, you know, also, you know, critically uh, loved are not as numerous as you would think compared to the overall number yeah. of Nintendo franchises that Nintendo has made. Yeah. Um, one thing that I considered recently, I don't know if you know the YouTuber Arlo. Uh, yeah, I know him. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of his videos, but I know him. He, he looks at the Cookie Monster, basically. Yeah. He's like a little, like, a Muppet-looking guy, or Sesame Street-looking guy. Uh, it's kind of funny. But he had a video called Nintendo Kart, and basically talking about how rather than making a Mario Kart game again, they'll make a Nintendo Kart to feature all the different characters. Hmm. And I like that idea a lot. And it's been a while since they've technically released a new Mario Kart game. Hmm. 2013 is when Mario Kart 8 came out. And I don't know if they're going to call it Nintendo Kart, but I was kind of thinking, like, what's the next thing Mario Kart can really do? Because as far as I'm concerned, this is just my personal opinion here, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is perfection. It is just, hmm. It's the perfect Mario Kart game. What can they really do next? Introduce all the Nintendo characters. So you can play as more obscure characters like Olimar, or you can be, you know, Princess Peach, or not Princess Peach, uh, like Zelda um, in, in a cart riding around, or Ganon, or, you know, yeah. that would be really cool, playing as Samus in, in a cart. Like, that'd be interesting. And having levels that are more centered around not just Mario areas, but all the Nintendo franchises. I think that'd be mm. really cool. And it's like a total, like, I know it's not going to happen next year, but man, yeah. would that game be awesome. And man, would it sell gangbusters. Yeah. What what I love about the possibility of the Mario Kart is I feel like it basically represents an opening for Nintendo characters that like previously would probably not be made into a 
Smash Brothers fighter because that would require a lot more work to be made into a cart racer because all they really have to do is just they just have to animate them sitting around in their cart and moving their steering wheel left to right. So like I feel like you can get a lot of like obscure Nintendo characters that you know you're not going to be much more than a trophy or a spirit in Smash Brothers to be given another shot at the limelight. So that's pretty cool uh, in theory, but we'll see if that ever happens. Oh, yeah, that's a total crossing my fingers. I'd like it to happen. Yeah, but I, I wanted mean, to call it Arla because he kind of put it in my head. Yeah, and I mean, I'd, I'd certainly love to see, like, what the more humanoid characters look like in the carts. Like, is Samus Aaron just going to be, like, really scrunched in there being like, <laughs> ah, this is so awkward? And is her cart going to look like her ship? Uh, yeah, that's a good amazing. point. That's a good I point. All right. I want it. So... For main quest, we're gonna be going over man only the we're game only award now at our main quest. Oh my god! <laughs> well, we don't have a game on game show because I didn't have time to make one. That's yeah, fine. Chad says a very high bar for that. Yeah, that I couldn't possibly top. And we don't have any subscriber interrogatives, so yeah. we're almost we're almost over yeah. here. I, I'm there. sorry to everybody who's been listening thus far that we spent 30 minutes talking about Cubivore back there. <laughs> I, I promise this will be the last time that you ever hear about Cubivore on the Respawn Aim Fire podcast. So you can or take from Nintendo that. period. <laughs> That's a good point from Nintendo period. <laughs> so for the main quest, we're going to be going over the Game Award uh, 2019 nominees. We're going to be going through ten of the categories and just kind of picking what we think will win, not necessarily what we th- what we want to win, what we would choose, but okay, kind of like where, cool. the, where we think the industry is going to go. Yeah, what's up? Cool. No, I was just saying, cool. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) And before we get to that, though, I just wanted to bring up, um, I guess you could call it a controversy that I wanted to mention. Um, So this is coming from Heather Alexandra at Kotaku. Headline is, Death Stranding's nominations at the Game Awards can't help but raise questions. They cite that Jeff Keighley and Kojima have had a very obvious public friendship, which has included many appearances at the Game Awards, many of which are giving the finger to Konami at the same time. Um, And that's kind of brought up some questions about the legitimacy of Death Stranding's nine nominations. It's also Mm. notable to mention that, uh, for the purposes of her story, that Kojima also sits on the advisory board of the Game Awards, who also includes like Dub Bowser, Phil Spencer, and the Activision president, Rob, Rob Kostick. Mm-hmm. And then others, including Rubitech USA, have also expressed concern about the same thing. You've also cited, too, that Famitsu is on the voting board for the Game Awards, who is the, the head of Famitsu is actually featured in Death Stranding, just like uh, Jeff Keighley is. Hmm. Um, personally, I don't think that the nominations are false. I think they were garnered yeah. legitimately because it's it's... it's there are, you can go to the website and see every single publication that votes to determine what will be nominated or will, won't be nominated. And I highly doubt that Jeff Keighley would just throw in Death Stranding for the sake of it. Yeah. This is one of those things where... Did they announce the nominations on Tuesday? Uh... It yeah, was that like, sounds about right. I don't know like, what the exact day, but yeah. It's one of those things where like, I feel like they announced the nominations re- like, really early in the week from us recording this podcast. And I feel like since then, like, I feel like the kind of discussion surrounding the Game Awards nominations has kind of gone through every single permuta- permutation that it's <laughs> been able to go through. And I feel like there's not really a whole lot else to say other than like... Yeah, this like it seems like there's collusion at play, but that's obviously not really the case. Yeah, like I mean, obviously they're they're good friends, but I mean, 
that's a lot of people have to vote to make that happen. Jeff Keighley, I don't think, has much power over that. Jeff Keighley's there yeah. to make sure they have cool game announcements for the game awards and that kind of stuff. He's a producer of the show. Mm. It's a very different thing. Um, so I don't think that anything happened there. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. But let's go through all of these different uh, categories. We have 10 of them selected. Mm-hmm. And we'll pick what we think is going to win. I actually want to start out from the bottom up. Soldier Game of the Year last. Okay. Um, so we're going to be starting off then with the fresh indie game presented by, uh, yeah, fresh indie game presented by Subway. Subway eat fresh. <laughs> we have ZA slash UM for Disco Elysium, Nomado mm. for, um, Studio for Gris, Dead Toast Entertainment for My Friend Pedro, Mobius Digital for Outer Wilds, um, Mega Crit for Slay the Spire, and House House for Untailed Goose Game. What a toss-up, man. Like, yeah. every single one of those games, like, I hear a lot of people talking about Disco Elysium, but also Untitled Goose Game was kind of a social media favorite. But also, Outer Wilds got a lot of good press as well. Uh, but also, Slate Aspire, I heard a lot of good things about on Nintendo Voice Chat. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah, this is a big toss-up. Um, I think Outer Wilds is one that I specifically played because I was hearing so much just positive feedback on the game. You have to go play it. So I'm like, all right, fine, I'll go play the game. And I'm glad I did. I really enjoyed it. But I feel like that's the game that I've heard the most praise about the game itself. Mm. I've recently heard about Disco Elysium um, on the Kutaku Split Screen podcast, but I haven't heard too much outside of that. And until the Goose Game, I think people are just talking about anyway because it's kind of silly and fun. Mm. even before it came out yeah i i i feel like disco elysium will have you'll see the effects of that game that game being discussed i think for maybe a longer tail than some of these games on this list are but i feel like it probably has a higher likelihood of losing out to some of the other games on this list that's just yeah. my opinion i think that of these i think outer wilds are probably get selected just because it's the one that i've heard the most discussion around Mm. and considering the people who are discussing the game or the people who are voting on the game so to me that that would make the most sense for who's what's who's gonna win that category Mm. i feel like and it sounds like i'm just saying that this just to be uh, contrarian i feel like untitled goose game actually might take it just because i feel like it's a little bit more recent and i feel like it might be Mm -hmm. a little bit fresher on people's minds that's, That's just a good opinion. point, too. Yeah. yeah. Right. Best family game. We have hmm. Luigi's Mansion 3, Rank Fit Adventure, Super Mario Maker 2, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, or Yoshi's Crafted World. Basically, Nintendo's got it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Yeah. I am, I'm not a big fan of that game, but yeah, I think it will just because it's, it's obviously everyone's favorite <laughs> family game it, it's it's like mario kart being in the last few years ago obviously that was gonna win so here's my kind of like internal thought mario process Odyssey, I mean, sorry yeah here's my internal thought process i wonder if there are a lot of people right now who are you know looking at all these uh various categories and are concerned that if like super smash brothers ultimate doesn't win um some of the other categories that it's nominated for, which we'll get to in a bit, that it's not going to win anything else. And so maybe they want to ensure that it wins in Best Family Game so that if it doesn't win the Game of the Year Award nomina- uh, nomination or the Best Fighting Game nomination, it at least wins something. Yeah. 
I think that's a good pick for that reason, too, yeah. I do think, for the record, that it has a pretty good chance at winning Best Fighting Game, which I noticed he didn't include on this uh, list for us to go over. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't feel like it's so... like it's. I feel like uh, Mortal Kombat has a pretty good chance of sealing that victory from it as well. So, yeah, I think people want to make sure it gets some sort of victory, and I feel like this will be a really great way to do so. Yeah, I agree. Best RPG is Disco Elysium, Final Fantasy fourteen. Kingdom Hearts 3, excuse me, Monster Hunter World Iceborne, and The Outer Worlds. Hmm, what do you think? I've only played The Outer Worlds, and I really like it a lot. I'm, with with Kingdom Hearts 3, it's been a long time. It came out in January. Mm. I think a lot could have overshadowed it in, in the meantime. But I also remember it, people going like, yeah, it's great for Kingdom Hearts fans. I don't remember people really talking about it as like a great RPG. I think uh, a lot of this in the context of it was a good Kingdom Hearts game. Yeah, so I played through Kingdom Hearts 3 uh, way back when it came out at the beginning of the year. I think it's a really good game. I think it's a great game for Kingdom Hearts fans, as you said earlier. Um, I think, though, that... So like the thing about the Kingdom Hearts series is that historically... A new numbered entry in the series has always come out, and then it's been followed by what's referred to as like the final mix version, which adds in a bunch of quality of life features, a bunch of new improvements, a bunch of new enemies, and a bunch of new kind of like post-game content, basically. And as it stands, I think that Kingdom Hearts 3 is the best like standalone game in the series without any of this like post-game content or stuff like that. Like base Kingdom Hearts 3, I think, is a better game than base Kingdom Hearts 2. But I think that Kingdom Hearts 2, with its final mix post-game content added, is a better game than Kingdom Hearts 3. And uh, as you know, like Kingdom Hearts 3 is still awaiting on a lot of its post-game content stuff. If that mm-hmm. stuff had arrived, I think, in the middle of this year, I think it would have a pretty good chance at winning the best RPG category. But it did not. That stuff is only going to be arriving next year. And for that reason, I think that we will uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 will not be winning this category. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't know too much about Final Fantasy XIV's uh, expansion they released this year. Um, Monster Hunter World Iceborne was surprised to see on this. Um, but I think there's just honestly not a whole lot of like truly awe-inspiring RPGs on this list. I like Outer Worlds, but it's very much an old-school style RPG in terms of like kind of harkening back to like Fallout 3 and Fallout 4, which aren't necessarily these forward-thinking RPGs. Yeah, I think that... Outer Worlds has the best chance at winning it. I do think, though, that uh, Final Fantasy XIV is a bit of a dark horse contender in this race, and I think it actually has a pretty good chance of winning it as well. Uh, The most recent expansion, Shadowbringers, that was talked about by a lot of people. A lot of people really seem to love it. And uh, they also recently had the Nier Automata uh, stuff added into the game that was also really uh, well-liked as well. So... Who knows? I think this is a toss-up between those two. We will see. This next category is going to be an interesting one. There's a lot of really good games that have gotten a lot of good discussion around it. This is Best Action Adventure Game. It features Borderlands 3, Control, Death Stranding, Resident Evil 2, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, and Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. What I find interesting about this category is that three of four of these games have gotten Game of the Year nominations. And like we were saying, how like Super Smash Bros. probably won't get Game of the Year, but it'll get Best Family Game. Yeah. To kind of make up for that. I feel like that's going to happen in one of these games as well. Yeah, I can see that. I, um... 
I wonder if Control might take it. I think it's going to be between Control and Sekiro. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, both of those games, like to your point, they seem like the kind of games where probably you're not going to win Game of the Year nominations, but people will stri- still try and push him so they can win an award somewhere on this mm-hmm. uh, you know, award show, and I feel like this might be a good place to do so. Yeah, and I really like Sekiro a lot. I have not beaten Control, but what I played it, I really enjoy. It's kind of like, in this here, like any one of them could win. It's kind of up in the air. I have no idea. Hmm. But we will find out. Yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think between Control and Sekiro Shadows Die Twice will probably be one of those two. Um, best Independent Game. This last time we're talking about Best Independent Studio. Now it's Best Independent Game. So we have Baba is You, Disco Elysium, Katana Zero, Outer Wilds, Until Goose, Goose Game. I think it's kind of the same deal. Yeah, it's, with the Subway one. With the Subway one, yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be kind of between Outer Wilds and Untitled Goose Game. Yeah, pretty much right there with you. Best audio design. We have Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Control, Death Stranding, Gears 5, Resident Evil 2, Secure Shadows Die Twice. I'll say this. Secure Mm. Shadows Die Twice is not going to win this, but when I was thinking about Jedi Fallen Order and why I like Sekiro's combat more, the auto design is actually a big part of that. The clinking mm. of the swords, of the uh, clinking of the swords. Awesome. Great, great stuff. But mm. it's not good enough to win. So, auto, auto design. It, it, as much as people like are concerned about and want to make fun of uh, Death Stranding win all, winning all these various nominations, I actually think that the audio design in Death Stranding is very, very, very good. Uh, I don't know whether or not it will win this category, but I think that it deserves to win this category. Yeah, I think Death Stranding, definitely. The sound design is is a huge part of just being enveloped in that world. Mm. It's also subtle. It's not like, I think Call of Duty is more bombastic, where Death Stranding, you're really listening into the nature around you and all that. So I definitely can see that too. Resident Evil 2 has amazing sound. That is that a good point. really does help with the game uh, i don't want to ruin it for you but when mr x is coming up to you and you can hear him walking towards you it is the most terrifying sound in, a, in that i've experienced in a game maybe it's it is oh i want to play the game again it's a really good game mm. best art direction we have control death stranding um is it is it gris uh i believe it's gri Gree, okay. Whatever it doesn't, oh. it doesn't matter. Who nobody, nobody's gonna kind of phone in and be like, "Oh, you got the pronunciation on Gris wrong <laughs> on responding fire." It's fine. Sayonara, Wild Hearts, Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice, and The Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening. I think we can probably slash Sekiro off of this list again. I think it. Yeah. I mean, it's it looks good, but you know, I don't think that we're get, gonna give it the nod for best art direction. No. Um, no. Uh, this could be Link's Awakening's genre. That's like the reason that game exists, really, is the art direction. That's a good point. I feel like that is a pretty good chance. I feel like maybe Sayonara Wild Hearts might go for it? Question mark? I think that's going to get best mobile game. Yeah. I'm uh, I- I'm going to put my uh, eggs in my basket and say that it's going to be Link's Awakening, uh, but I don't think it's guaranteed to win it. I don't think it's guaranteed to win it either, but I think of these, like, it's kind of like how we uh, gave Super Smash Bros. Plus Family Game, because that's the genre that's going to stick in the, out the most. It 
it, that it will stick out the most in. I think Link's Awakening is same here. Art direction is what it stands out for the most. Yeah. It was, as soon as the trailers came out, it was like, oh man, the art style of that Zelda game is fantastic. Yeah. Best narrative. A Plague Tale Innocence, Control, Death Stranding, Disco Elysium, The Outer Worlds. Uh, I, I started playing a Plague Tale Innocence. I like it a lot, actually. I'm not hmm. very far in it, but I do well, like it quite a bit. So, I actually, I, I mean, I've heard the name at this point quite a bit, but I don't really know what the deal is with Plague Tale. What, what's it about? It's So far, it is about the the Black Plague in France. Okay. And there's something where, like, your parents are traitors in some way to um, the, the powers that be, the authority that be, and so you, um, the, the daughter of the, your parents and your brother are escaping as your parents were just killed. <laughs> and you're kind of going through the world that's doing the Black Plague. Um, that's what it's been so far, at least. It's, it is a very good game so far. I like it a lot. Um, hmm. But I think when it comes like to best narrative, it's kind of like security. You can kind of cross it off the list because it's not the biggest game on the list, unfortunately. Yeah. I feel like Control, this is where Control is going to win. Narrative was a big part of Control, the world, all that stuff. Same with Death Stranding, but I think that the, the narrative might also be the reason people don't like that game. It, um, I mean, it's a very Kideo Kojima kind of narrative. Uh, there are a lot of like weird kind of Kojima-isms, a lot of weird product placement that I think I personally am very fond of. I think it enhances the quirky atmosphere of the world, but I feel like it is pretty divisive. And I would say that at the end of the day, Death Stranding's strongest suite is the kind of meditative nature of its gameplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I would probably think that it does not win this. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting my money on control for this one. Yeah, I think it has a pretty good shot. Last two categories. We have Here we go. best game direction. This is Control, Death Stranding, Resident Evil 2, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, and Outer Wilds. So, can we also say the Game of the Year uh, thing as well? Because I have a statement to make that will make more sense if we've read that one as well. Yeah, sure. So, that was Best Game Direction. Now for Game of the Year. Control, Death Stranding, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Resident Evil 2, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, and The Outer Worlds. I think that they give uh, Death Stranding the nod for best game direction, and it is it does not win Game of the Year. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. yeah. As for who wins Game of the Year, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, this is really hard, because like, Death Stranding, I definitely agree with you. It's going to get best game direction, just because it's Kojima. Yeah. <laughs> There's the name recognition to to attach to it. And, and I feel this like is tough. It, it's a great way to be like, hey, we gave it the nod. We acknowledge that it's a really good game and we sidestep causing any more controversy than we need to by also giving it the Game of the Year award nom. Um, yeah. But like, I the feel Oscars like, do that a lot. Yeah. But the moment movies. that you take Death Stranding out of the Game of the Year nominate, uh, sorry, the Game of the Year choices, it's like, all right, well. I mean, these are all really good games. Control, Ultimate, Resident Evil 2, Sekiro, The Outer Worlds, but no, none of them is a particular standout. Yeah. I really, really love Resident Evil 2, but at the same time, you have to recognize that it's a remake. It'd be really strange to me if a remake won Game of the Year. Mm. Not that it doesn't take 
you know, uh, liberties with the original property. From when I hear it, it really does. But it is a remake. Mm. So I, I would feel weird if that won. And I think I would, wouldn't be surprised if others have said the same thing. Outer Worlds is a really good game, but it doesn't... It, it, it's really good at doing things that have been done before. And it does them, you know, very, very well. But it's, again, it's not anything we haven't really seen before. Control has a lot of technical problems that kind of marred its release. Super Smash Bros. has been out for a while, and I just would be very surprised if after a full year it, it gets the win. And then yeah. Secure Shadow Side twice. Really good game. But how many people and how many journalists actually finished the game? I mean, it, it doesn't like it doesn't help that all of these games on this list are pretty distinctly different from each other. I mean, I guess you yeah. could generally group Control and Sekiro into like oh action adventure game, but they're really mm-hmm. radically different. You have Control, which is like a supernatural action game. You have Death Stranding, which is Death Stranding. <laughs> you have Super <laughs> Smash Brothers Ultimate, which is a fighting game. You have Resident Evil 2, which is like a survival horror. You have Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which is a um, like Soulsborne kind of game, kind of. And then you have The Outer Worlds, which is a Bethesda Fallout style RPG. Like when I think back to Game of the Year awards in previous years, it was like like 2017, you had Zelda, you had Horizon Zero Dawn. You had a lot of games all grouped together that were all pretty... I feel similar and maybe maybe I'm wrong maybe it's just those two games are similar and everything was really different but there definitely is is not not as much I'd say uh I, I forgot the right word but it's a pretty diverse list yeah I feel like it's making I'm, the decision here pretty difficult for us yeah it's really hard to predict I'm just gonna say Sekiro Shadows Die Twice just for the hell of it just to put something down Hmm. But I really don't think it would actually win. But I, I can say that about all these other games. Here's the thing. I preemptively want to say Death Stranding, but I feel like I self-imposed myself not saying Death <laughs> Stranding for this one. So yeah. I'm going to say, in lieu of Death Stranding, Control. But I control. don't think it's certain at all. We will find out. We will find out. <sighs> and that brings us to our end game. So right now, our barf of the month is Undertale. We'll be talking about that next week at some point. So look forward to that. Ooh. If you have any thoughts on the game you want to share, you can always tweet at us at RespawningFire or email us at RespawningFire at gmail.com. If you like to play with us every week, you get a cool new wallpaper every month. And have a say in what we play. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash RespawningFire. Only one tier for $1, but that's too much. No pressure. And like I said, you can just feel free to follow us at Responding Fire at Twitter, um, at Responding Fire on Twitter, or email us at Responding Fire, blah, Responding Fire at gmail.com. Really botched that last part there. <laughs> and I'm closing out here with Alex if you want to. Uh, yeah, uh, you can follow me before we close out. Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Alex Kazina. I tweet out fun little gaming facts and gaming experiences. Uh, you can also follow gamers. That's G V M E R S at youtube.com slash gamers. Uh, I'm writing new scripts for new documentaries for that channel all the time. Uh, as we mentioned earlier on the show, we recently came out with a set of documentaries on the history of the max Payne series and on the history of, 
um, Kingdoms of, of Amalur Reckoning, the storied RPG that was created by Big Huge Games and 38 Studios back during the early 2010s. In addition to that, I'm also working on Gamers' uh, secondary YouTube channel, Gamers Plus, uh, where I'm making some like more personable, intimate, intimate content uh, in which myself and Eilert, the channel's director, discuss you know our experiences playing video games and whatnot in a more kind of relaxed setting. Uh, and in addition to all of that, I also am working on a bunch of fun little kind of funny related projects in the background. I'm not ready to discuss them just yet. Just keep an eye on my Twitter account and you will eventually see good stuff. Oh, sorry to spike the mic right there. But before I forget, uh, you can also catch me on Twitch on twitch.tv slash CozyBearLive. K-O-Z-I-B-E-A-R-L-I-V-E. I just recently became affiliated. So be sure to like, follow, subscribe, do all that good stuff. I'm a bit of a shill now because it just became a... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, go and do all that and I will be eternally grateful. We will keep an eye out for sure. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. And now for usual sign-off. Bumpanada. Bumpanada.